0: right man, as the road turns, welcome back. Just want a quick disclaimer. Remember that this is uh, the opinion of Carlos Tavares, <laughs> not of the Rescue Company one or any of my other employers. This is just, you know, what I think. And, uh you know, sorry if I offend anybody. who may get offended. There may be some fucks and shit that gets said here. So if that's a problem, I'll turn the shit off. Otherwise, welcome.
1: Like, <laughs> Mike's going to do his
0: podcast with
1: <laughs> you. I
0: expect him to.
1: Man, what was who was that drummer from No Doubt? Remember the drummer from oh, yeah. No Doubt? Oh, yeah. naked? Yeah. God, what yeah, is this? what was, was his name? I
0: love Dakota already so much more than you.
2: Oh, yeah, so like you. You guys certainly so share that comment. And I'm you're more musically and uh, I guess uh, movie culture.
1: I like to call them worldly. Uh, yeah, world I'm just world. more of eclectic. I have a lot of eclectic taste. Yeah, it's kind of a, hey man, I won't argue. With I'm that. strange. Yeah, no, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> thank you. Sure. What is this?
0: So, so uh, Ryan, real quick though, like, I can hear is this you camel
2: come.
1: <laughs>
0: I can hear you, but not on the microphone, but I just as long as you are you know, you're recording yourself that that's that's fine
2: I am being recorded um, Check check. Yeah uh, Let's see, but if you can't hear me, I don't like that. How about do I sound a little yeah, louder now? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Now
0: I can hear you <laughs> Absolutely
2: check check check. So we have one shot to do Carlo with Trish you here. sound good on the mic
0: One shot to do with Trish here Dakota
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, to the real CEO of the rescue company, one, Trish. Yes. yes. Trish. You're right. Thank you. Oh, man. Uh, so, um, Bailey's. That's good. Oh, is that it's what not, that what It's uh, peanut
2: butter whiskey. Banana and a little bit of cream. That tastes mm,
0: like camel. Come. That's delicious. It tastes like a cream pie. <laughs> if,
1: that, if that tastes like camel company, count me in. So I love camel. <laughs> Don't let me go in. to Dubai. <laughs> Sign me up. So. Do um, buy me another one. Do I? Buy- <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> I fucking love this guy. I love him. I love him. He's so creepy. It's so creepy. Golly. So like, oh gosh. I what I was saying <laughs> do earlier. Do buy me another one. I hate you. <laughs> what I was saying earlier is this. Like we came up with, you know, we voted on the name, you know what I mean? And we came up with a group decision on that portion of it. Shut. Um I think the only the only difference here is that I don't really have a suggestion for like, you know. I guess you're asking like a tagline, something we always say. Like, yeah, like our intro, outro, intro, outro um, stuff. So I don't have any suggestions for that, but be, I think
2: it should be. Okay, oh, sorry. Okay.
0: So I think that you know we no should more. decide on, on this round okay. do camel comes. You're right in the I keep sure. losing the train of thought here.
2: Sorry. I love you. So you didn't really have any ideas on intro, outro, or... I really don't, man. Yeah, so I was thinking, um, and I kind of came to this conclusion based off of, like, just watching a bunch of different YouTube videos and watching how other people do their podcasts, and um, there's a lot of guys who, like, they they have this pre-recorded intro and outro that they just insert at the beginning and end of each um, individual podcast, and there's guys who just, like, freestyle the intro and the outro every time, which is kind of like a common theme. So, like, and-
0: I- honestly, man, you know, I thought about it. And uh, you know, I didn't really come up with anything good in my head. However, I also thought of this whole thing too. Is, is that that I like the group effort? I like the group effort and stuff. And I think if I suggest something. It ends up being what people vote on. That's nice. That's a nice one. It ends up being what people vote on is my suggestion. So you, this time I'm not suggesting shit. So like- Okay, you, fair you, enough. You,
2: you, I want- Do so you think we have a bias? We just, we just, yeah, I don't want people taking okay. my, my, my decision. Bad. I want I want a group thing. Um, I so, think that- And listen- I think, I, I, I think my, my first train of thought is in that natural. I think it'd be- I might disagree with this later, but right now I think the best thing <laughs> to do is probably just have like an organic opening- um, and being like, hey, what's up, everybody? You know, like,
1: yeah, hey, you know, no, I, hey, let's I mean, you
2: know, get the coders' input. What do you think, brother?
1: I, uh, you know, this is my very unprofessional opinion, but I think uh, <laughs> nobody here is professional. We do, mm-hmm.
2: uh, yes, we, we are, Carlos. We're professional. We, we do what we do
1: with the Rescue Company One. Everything that we do with the Rescue Company One is organic based, and I don't yeah, think anything absolutely. and everything that we do in this career path is going to be based off of that situation what the situation at hand is going to handle absolutely the unscripted-ness. so when we talk about the handle like you know after we do this intro music and we come in and play we talk about what we're going to discuss for the day and, and we introduce ourselves as who we are and we go from there I think we keep it basic because that's what really uh, interacts with with our listeners is going to be something like hey these guys are down to earth they're not projecting something that they aren't and I think the more we keep it close to our hearts and truly who we are yeah absolutely the more the, I like it. the listeners are going to appreciate it. oh 100% that. absolutely because it you know, when I listen to podcasts When we all listen to podcasts I'll ask it like this When we all listen to podcasts What do we want to hear?
2: I want to be entertained You just want we, to
1: make sure You're not being bullshitting Well, we want to hear yeah. We want to be entertained And we want to get down To the information And yeah. In honesty Half the time, honesty, right. Absolutely. When I hear a minute long intro What do we do? We skip through it If I hear the same intro every time, I know Uh, when I start this podcast, then I wanna get to a minute 30 because I don't wanna listen to the intro. But if I listen to this podcast and every time that minute 30 is something different, then I'm gonna listen to that. If I open it up and listen to something 'Cause that minute thirty could be stupid or that minute thirty could be really funny. I'm like, dude, you guys have to listen to the first minute of this podcast. Right. Don't we don't want to give anybody any reason to like, I'll oh, just skip this. The first know, fifteen right? seconds and you had that yeah. intro music coming into play, and then after that we just kind of spitball, and I think and, that's and even, what's gonna captivate the viewers for the entire episode.
0: And even that, I'd be I'd be honest Man. with you, like I I've thought about this, like the intro music, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. I've yeah. had I've had ideas. I've had stuff that I like, you know, but um I think it hinders your creative process. Hinders mine. Yeah, like I, 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 I just want to know what you're gonna come up with. You know, mostly because I'm probably gonna make fun of it. <laughs> and, no, but no. in reality is it's like what's the podcast? It's called as a rotor turns. As the rotor turns. Oh, let's back up. So you're gonna make fun of it? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna make fun of it. But what I'm saying though, Ryan, is is that your creative process is is different. You know what I mean? It's mine. I don't yeah, and I don't have that gene. I don't have that gene of creating shit like you do. Like th- this this artistic stuff and like if I had a suggestion of what I wanted it to be, it would end up being that and it
2: wouldn't be creative. You think it would take away from my creative uh absolutely. just process. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. So so um, so I want It's funny you say that. Like a lot of the times like I have no idea when I start a project, like videography, whether it's audio or you know, audio or video. I have an intent but like i just i get to the point where it's like, yeah, okay I, I, what I do won- i do from here and it's just this you know, is with the process you know
0: this is not mine i wanted to be the collective yeah groups. certainly. you know what i mean so um but yeah
2: we'll get some music worked in i'll yeah, figure yeah. something out and i'll uh i'll just let the so, juices so as, flow man
0: so as <laughs> we're doing this, this is that uh, as the rotor turns i love that name and we have a special guest today. Name's Dakota James. Dakota James. Man, that sounds like a poor name. That sounds like a made-up name. Yeah,
1: let me the tell whole- you, don't look it up. <laughs> let's, just start, let's just start the podcast. <laughs> let's throw that out for us. Yeah. Oh, man! Actually, on my Facebook, I use my middle name because I didn't want people researching Dakota James. Yeah,
0: and, and you know the the most <laughs> hilarious thing is that I was talking to Dakota before we started, like that Ryan. You know, our first episode was a lot of Ryan It was me and Ryan just talking back and forth, and like that's a mini series. Yeah. You, you can't just get Ryan in one show. You know what I mean? I don't like, think you can get any of us in uh, one show. Well, I don't really, just, just you, really honestly. <laughs> like, the rest of us are pretty goddamn boring when it comes to uh, the, the history
2: of you know who, who we are. But, you know, like, but Dakota y- just showed me a video of him pulling a man out of the water face down on the back of a sea And taking him to shore and saving his life. Yeah, you know what? That man right there in front of me. Hold on, I'm looking at this. Like, look at him. Yeah, that guy right there. Goddamn hero, (laughs)
0: fucking hero. But you
2: know, everybody has that
1: story, Ryan. But I, I know. I never, I never lived in the woods of Oregon. Oh, exactly. (laughs) Washington, Washington. (laughs) Hey man, it's all the same thing. (laughs) Hey, it's close enough. Yeah, you're in the
0: same state. Exactly. You're in the same state, and you know something, Ryan? Like it's uh, you're a homeless man. And that, and no, that right I, there,
2: I, I was
0: <laughs> and, and like that right there makes you so goddamn interesting like you know yeah. you're Rambo like you're what the your first blood
3: like you know
2: I don't like the Rambo thing like I, I I think no no special teams has has room for a Rambo so like, I get the, I get the association but like yeah absolutely you know, like, like, into it. You, know
0: hey. you listen they, they wrote a movie about you you came back from war. <laughs> You And then you just, you know, you live through the woods. You're like the, uh uh you know, fu- even Kung Fu was about Ryan. You know what I mean? You travel the earth, <laughs> solving people's problems.
1: Let me see if I can get a sponsor out of this. Uh, the Diplomat Dad. The diplomat dad yeah. We'll call Ryan the Diplomat Dad. Hey, man. Yeah. Let's we'll see if I, I can you. get a sponsorship out of this. But anyways, <laughs> like,
0: I don't know if we'll be able to get the code on one episode. You know what I mean? Well, we don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but, you know, we're going to definitely try. We're okay. going to definitely try to see if we can get them. However, what's going to be different today is today we got a case study. Awesome. We got a case study. We got some uh, medical info we're going to talk about. We're going to see, you know, how Dakota teaches different stuff. He started showing us some stuff. I had to stop him because I'm like, man, that's good podcast stuff. Absolutely. Right there. Good podcast stuff. And then... Um, you did some stuff this week.
2: You cut the first episode, right? Yeah, we got episode one done and edited. Actually, uh, technically I finished it this morning. I was done last night, but I didn't compress all the audio and, and export it all until this morning. But yeah, I listened to it this morning. Uh, it's a, it's like an hour and 10 minutes. I think I must've listened a- to like 10 hours of audio. Hey yeah, man, that's good. That's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. Absolutely, it was fun. It was a good time. So let's talk about this Dakota James, porn star.
0: Oh man. Slash fireman. Oh, man. Man, I want you to tell us about you, but I want you to start
1: way back. Some ships are made out of metal, but the best kind of ships are friendships. And I like, sail on those forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that Cheers one. Out, yeah, man. man. All, right. All right, man. Let's do this thing. So, Dakota, I want you to tell me about you okay and I want you to okay I there's, not a, there's not much to know oh there's a lot to know you, you <laughs> see listen man I want you to start way back tell me about your roommates <laughs> i.e. <laughs> your
1: parents and I, I, I want to know about you oh Kevin and Jenny man yeah. they're
2: awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're,
1: yeah they're the reason I am who I am today so um, go ahead man tell people about you so who I am I am a uh, amateur paramedic yeah, and a uh, professional tattoo artist. Tattoo
2: artist. <laughs> yeah. Pats, bro. Uh, yeah, Wanna I'm a my firefighter, neck? paramedic in
1: my late 20s, and uh, I tell you what, man, it all started for me. Everyone always talks about who, uh, you know, how they got started in fire service, and they're like, "Oh, I wanted to help people, and I wanted to uh, wanted to ride in fire trucks, or or I had this calling." And for me, man, it was none of that. I um I hated school. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to college. I, uh, so it's funny, my dad, when we grew up, he was involved in sales. And uh, from a young age, we used to go to school, we went to elementary school. And after that, my dad said, you know, like the best way to educate my children is to take them on the road with me, is to educate them by traveling. And so he actually pulled my brother and I out of school. My brother, his name is Dallas. So a little background story. So my <laughs> name is D- Dakota. Oh my God. My brother's name is Dallas and my mom's name is Virginia. Holy Jesus. Yeah, we're all cities and states. (laughs) And obviously I'm the most important because I'm named after two states. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so my dad's name is Kevin. And so growing up, my dad was, you know, he just wanted us to be cultured. And so we watched a movie, uh, uh, Point Break. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Keanu Reeves is... I've seen that one, Carlos. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. I hope... I almost threw you out. (laughs) And uh, Keanu Reeves is special agent, Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. Hey,
2: Utah. Give me two. (laughs)
1: Oh, (laughs) Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves, man. man. So we called my dad... Johnny Utah. Oh, that's awesome. So, Special Agent Utah. my dad looks like a cop. I mean, dude, the guy's oh, clean cut. He, yeah, he's clean cut. And it's funny because my brother and I have long hair and we're just super hippies, and my mom is too. And so, my dad looks like a clean cut, like undercover cop. So, we call him Special Agent Johnny Utah. <laughs> so, it's Utah, Virginia, Dallas, and Dakota. This. Yeah, it was stupid, man. It was it. funny. And uh, so, my dad said, you know what? I'm pulling you guys out of school. And so, mm. we, uh, we traveled. The country with my dad and my mom. I mean, dude, we had a grand Buick that we would drive, and I mean, we would drive this thing all over. (laughs) And my brother and I. So we remember old school days where you had the DVD player, and they would mount on the back of the headrest. Yeah, with the Harry and the Henderson station. Yes. and they were old school like these weren't nice dvd players man they were it, it was like an actual like, what a what a different world
0: like old school for you is so different than my old school you yeah, know what i that mean was like new school for you like dvd for me was was like i was an adult dvds yeah. came out right. so, I mean,
1: man you what know, we'll, we'll proceed gentlemen channel. listen man i uh i i'm doing my fair share of organic medicine so i, I <laughs> I, I, I believe there are DVDs yeah <laughs> but, um, but uh we would watch and I remember. I don't remember a lot of the movies we watched but my brother and I were addicted to Remember the Titans oh yes yeah. I love that movie and it was uh, Coach Boone man Denzel Washington Coach Boone true story and uh, yeah true story and Coach Bill Yost Yeah, I remember it. I'll never forget it man it was it was my favorite part of the movie where they wake all the students up in the middle of the night and they run out to Gettysburg Yeah. and he said I killed my brother with malice in my heart and he said if we don't come together as a team right now man, I'm fall. getting goosebumps yeah I was we're getting good fucking goosebumps right, here. right there he, yeah. he, and you know, man, that
0: he, that's the most winning, winningest coach. He won the most games. Yeah. In, in Virginia, Virginia history, dude.
1: Alexandria, Virginia. and yep. I, And they talk about in the movie they portray like they had close, close, you know, close calls. But when you actually read the history of that film, there was no game that was close. The only game no. that was actually close yeah. was the the championship where TC Williams High School actually won the championship. But other than that, none of the games were close, man. It was a closeout every single game. And you know, I'm not great at names, remembering names, but the coach, yeah. uh the, the the the
0: the white coach before. Coach Bill Yokes. Bill Yokes was the most he was in the he's in
1: the Virginia High School Hall of Fame for football. Well he was gonna be Yeah. and they were gonna throw the game with yeah. the refs. And he went out there and he said, hey, listen, I know what you're doing. I know about the bet. And if you guys right. are going to continue to do this, I'll take every one of you down. That's a, This is just like
2: in the – yeah. and, a- and
1: he sacrificed himself as a coach for the good of the team. Because if they were right throwing the game, he would have been the it. head coach. And so it. for me, you know, as I've, I've, I've entered my career, I, I constantly remind myself, like I killed my brother with malice in my heart. And if we don't come together as a team – and and you, we talk about this podcast as a road of turns, and like in, in none of us are as good as the guy standing next to me. And this is one of those That's things it. that we don't come together as a team right now. The ultimate downfall is going to be on our patient. And the ultimate goal of our job is to protect our patient. That's it? Yeah. And uh, I remember driving around in the car as a kid, traveling all throughout the country with my family. And uh, we would watch that movie over, and I remember it would finish. And it would, the ending scene with that movie That's is Gary Bertier who yep. they're at his funeral because he got in two car accidents right. with, a drunk, yeah. with a drunk driver and he got ended up losing his life to a drunk driver at the very end of his life. But that's the film and they all come together because you remember in the scene when the coach puts him on a bus and he says, I don't care about your race. I don't care about your color. It's funny. You know, we live in this world right now, 2020. Right. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's, everyone's trying to divide us. Absolutely. And you look at this film and I said, man, we don't need anything right now more than we need a Gary Bertier and a Julius. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you look at this, man. You look at these guys coming together, and in the midst of this this racial, just this uh, hate, this racial hate, hate, and, hate and, and from they, everywhere. And they bring them together, and you have Gary Bertier and what's his name, Julius. Ah. Yeah, a white, a, a black dude and a white dude. Just and just they their bring brothers. them together on two opposite sides, and I, I draw. Brothers. I, it's one of my favorite quotes of the movie. And they're standing at a water fountain, and he says nobody plays for the team. And, and Julius comes back to Gary, and they talk about the team, and they talk about the team effort. And I'm supposed to put my dad, put my life out there for the team, right? And he comes back, and Julius comes back to Gary Porter, and he says, you know what? Attitude reflects leadership, leadership. Captain. And, yeah, and there's a moment okay. in that film, and that, I mean, and that's that turning point. Because then they go back out there to practice, and they're sitting there and you see him he goes at strong side left side strong side, side, and, left side. All, yeah. Yeah, and they you all get bring yeah. and they all bring them together man yeah. and that's that turning point of the film Absolute and even then when he goes pivotal. back home Gary and his girlfriend are sitting there and he introduces them. he introduces him to his mom and they come together and I'll never forget too when Gary gets in that car accident and I bring yeah, him yeah. into the room and he says yeah, the hospital can't you see Watson. that's my, my brother. brother and the that's only person right there. they want yeah. to see yeah. is Julius yeah. and even with Gary's mind he's like the only person he wants to see is you I yeah. tell you what, man, you look at this world right now and you're like, that's what we, that's what we need to get back to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Terrible. we're getting off track. Yeah, this no, 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 we're on, we're we're on we're, track. We're on track. Let, let me
0: ask you something, man. You believe in the divine intervention? Absolutely. So, you know, listen, this happened yesterday. Maybe I'll get fired from my regular job for saying this, <laughs> yeah. but this is yesterday, yesterday. So I walk into work two days ago and, uh, they're, not to get too descriptive because, you know, protect the innocent but there was an incident that happened on the helicopter so the helicopter had an incident like where so i walk in and these guys are upset like they look they just look different Mm -hmm. they look sad and i'm you know i'm like man what's going on so i get the story and it was one of those situations where the the pilot the nurse and the medic completely understood that they almost died. They almost died. Like, like, and it's just, it's one of those things, you, you know, you can say this a hundred times. You can say, you know, this is a dangerous job. You know, maybe anybody that's, that's listening to this will understand that. Like, you know, they've lost friends doing this job. So you imagine walking into work and you see these guys, they have the realization that they almost died, right? And uh, at the end of the day, I was really upset about the, the the response the leadership response to it you know and how like nobody came there to talk to these guys and stuff like that you know and then one of our guys that everybody will listen to named Robbie so I came in human the, resources yeah yeah human resources so I I came in in the afternoon time worked like a reverse twenty four so I worked five o'clock in the afternoon one day till five o'clock in the afternoon the next day. So that night I stayed with the medic that had the incident, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, this, uh, this medic should have been sent home. Right. Yeah. They should have came in, like sent, sent them home. But um, I said, you know, you know, I failed in my position and the fact that I didn't really contact my boss and say, hey, man. What do you think about sending this guy home he just had a big thing he looks really scared you know like something he doesn't look the same as he always does
2: it's not composed
0: yeah it's not his job so anyways like i had a failure in in me where i didn't communicate very well but because i was so taken over by just making sure this guy was okay you know i wanted to make sure this guy was okay and uh but robbie that robbie tester Roberto Sweet T tester. You guys, you guys will see him at some point here. That guy, man, he's you know, he's the guy's gonna fire me from this company. And the reason why why sweet T is gonna fire me from this company, why he's gonna be that guy, is because like he can over he can see like three steps ahead. I, you know, this is what so Dakota, this is what Robbie tells me. He goes, you know, I know you're upset. That's what he tells me. I know you're upset. He goes, I'm upset too. But he goes how did those guys make it sound on the phone to the boss
1: you see what i'm saying yeah And, and you know i i get something to say about that because when you look at this career and i'm not saying it's right what they did but when you look at our job and i'm speaking on behalf of a lot of paramedics and i'm speaking on behalf of a lot of flight medics and firefighters but our job is to regardless of how we feel about the situation, and regardless of what happens to it us, it's to complete the mission at exactly, end. man. That's and a, it's to God go damn it, and it. it's and it's to go yeah, back and right. it's to go back to work and it's just to suppress these emotions so much in our society that others may live is is yeah and it's it's almost not by so others may live but it's also by all means necessary yeah absolutely. So when I think about this that that phrase by all means necessary, you look at this job and you know you talk to those guys who experienced that trauma. But you look at it in a sense of by all means necessary, man. They, they weren't doing anything that they weren't supposed to do. They, no, they were doing the job. So, it, and it's funny. So, you know, I can't remember who said it to myself and who said it to me. And may, maybe it was you know something that came to my dreams in this subconscious world. But you know, I look at it like this, and this is the way I cope with a lot of the stuff that I see. You know, and and you know my story, and maybe we'll yeah. talk about it in this podcast. Yeah, yeah maybe absolutely. Want I want everybody to know your story. And, and uh, you know, and everything that happened with uh, I'll name drop Mike Salber. Yeah, absolutely. And he was a big influence in my life. But we talk about you know what happened with him, and uh, you know, I don't, I'm not upset with myself for for what happened. But regardless of whether or not I was there, that incident was going to happen. But yeah. the way I look at things is. I want to be there because I can give that person the best shot at a chance of living. Absolutely. So that's how I cope with a lot of things. Regardless of whether or not this incident was going to happen, I want to be there. I don't want bad things to happen, but bad things inevitably happen. I don't want someone's house to burn down, but people's houses burns down. I don't want someone's kid or father or mother to get hurt, but people's father, children, mothers are going to get hurt. But I want to be there because I trust my capabilities Mm -hmm to give that patient or not even that patient, but to give that person a fighting chance at life. And I know I'm the best person to give that, to give that mother, father, child a fighting chance at life. And, And it's weird because you look at this life and you don't want to experience that trauma because whether you believe it or not, that, that takes a toll on your life, but I want to be there. Because yeah. I know my abilities are the best for that person, man. That, that's, you, that's, hey,
0: that's, hey, dude, just, that yeah. that right there, Ryan. See, that, see that right there. Not to make a football thing, but that a player it, when the game's on the line, a playmaker wants the ball. Yeah, not you so. want the ball in your hand. No, no, that's, that's absolutely, it. that's it.
2: That's an honorable and a noble thing, man. Yeah, it, and it's
0: and it's it's not an it's not an arrogance. It's not a thing. Is no, at it, the end of the game, I want the passion.
2: ball in my hand. That's called at the end of the day. Like if the <laughs> In goal is mission success, let me have it. But here's and, the deal. No, I get that. That comes from compassion and love, man. And, and that's hard to... But here's the deal. So by. when
1: when I went through paramedic school, it's funny, man. And, and, and I can't take credit for this because I, I, I won't take credit for this. But every single instructor, and I've done the same thing, they tell you when you talk about... Because as a street medic, the biggest claim to fame, the biggest mic drop is either delivering a child oh, yeah. or doing a surgical cricothyroidomy, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're going to come back to that
1: subject, man. So, we're going to come back. So you think about this, and, yeah. I, and I know maybe that's not the biggest claim to fame, but they always talk about the surgical crics, right? And what's the hardest part, Ryan, and I'm going to deflect this to you, what's the hardest part of a surgical cric? Probably, uh, I would say, well, one or two things. One, having the balls to do it, and
2: two, um, identifying the landmark. Maybe. Okay, well, let's say, and and I'm going
1: to, I, I no, say I'm not it's gonna, making the decision. It's, yeah,
3: that's what I'm and saying. I'm they gonna, have, gonna, have the have, decision, have, the have, decision have, to make have, it, it. have it, the
2: balls right? to do it. Like, and hey, I'm this, is co- it. this is Yeah, know, and this this I'm
1: going to agree with Carl. So it's making the decision to cut someone's neck open. It is you sit there and you're ventilating a patient and you've pushed your paralytic and you still can't get it or you have, you know, you know, Maybe I'll reference the IBSC, but you talk about having the patient that has a trismus and you got to crack your patient because you can't gain IV access or something's happening there where your paralytic's not taking effect. Yeah, certainly. And you have to make that effect to crack your patient. That is the biggest step. And when you talk about that, people never want to take that into realization yeah. to crack their patient. And I
2: think that that doesn't stem from a lack of realization. It's the right thing to do because I think more times than not. It, I you could probably go back and look at the statistics and interview those individuals and be like yeah I knew it was the right thing but the thing that stopped me was I I I just didn't ha- I didn't have it in me like I think more times that I realize the right thing to do is the right thing to do but we don't do it because it's like damn like that, that that's well, an extreme it's, decision
1: it, it's scary i mean absolutely come on, man i'm in absolutely. my late 20s and you talk about me and i'm making that decision to cut into someone's neck and and i can't take words i I can't take the credit for what I'm about to say. And I and I, I heard it from another podcast or a YouTube video. I can't recollect what exactly I heard it from. But they talked about this this uh, this Stegen and plane and this fight or flight and it, how it's a forced dichotomy. And neither one of those things – and they talk about it being a forced dichotomy Gotta get rid of because that. we don't actually practice either one of those things. We don't ever – load and go. No one in a paramedic field. And once again, I'm speaking on behalf of all these street medics, nobody in the world ever takes a patient, throws them on a stretcher and drives as fast as they can to an ER. You can't do that. You'll lose your job. Yeah. And nobody ever stays on scene going, you know what? We're just going to play around with this patient and we're going to do some things that we shouldn't do. And so the way to reference this is a clinical decision making for meaningful interventions and i wish i could reference the er doctor who said that but it it took so much with me and it meant so much to me because it's something that i can relate to my co-workers because when i stay on scene they asked me because once i went through this class with the rescue company one and uh I learned so much about myself as a paramedic and I learned so much about things that we need to do in the field. they said, oh, I bet you always want to over-treat your patients. That's not it. I've become more conservative in my treatment modalities with these patients than I have with, with doing certain things. You know, when we talk about this resuscitation before an intubation and we talk about these uh, different methods of treatment before we go into these advanced methods of treatment And that's such a huge thing because you have to realize that for every... You talk about Newton's laws of motion. For every action, there's a reaction. It's one of the three, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of the laws of motion. And so you talk about this and... And you got to realize everyone's like, oh, I bet you overtreat. You're like, absolutely, that's not it. Because the more information you learn, you realize, hey, let's take a step back and let's try and resuscitate this patient yeah. before we just put them down and intubate them. Or let's think about why are we cranking this patient? Or, hey, man, we shouldn't crank this patient. Well, that's not it. Or, you know, a lot of these street medics, they talk about, oh, hey, man, uh, like for instance, I'll relate a, uh, a call I had, and we had a patient who we got a call for a fall. in 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 my department i work in within central florida i won't name the department because i like to leave names irrelevant yeah yeah protect (laughs) the innocent is what we call it yeah yeah (laughs) like uh so so ryan's
0: not a a worldly person he doesn't watch tv he's a millennial i've i
2: I, lived in a few different countries
0: yeah but you don't watch tv so (laughs) so so there's a show called dragnet back in the day you know dragnet would say that that this is a real (laughs) story but we changed the name to Protect the Innocent.
1: <laughs>
2: yep.
0: So we, we're protecting the innocent, Ryan.
3: <laughs>
2: That's from Dragnet. Got
1: it. Yeah, copyright, Dragnet. <laughs> so I'm going to be doing a little Dragnet scenario here. <laughs> but we talk about a patient who had fallen, and it got called out, just a very basic call. And we walk in, and this patient is surrounded by a pool of blood on the floor. And he... Uh, no history we can't get any history on this guy and he's laying on the ground his eyes are rolled back into his head and he's having these irregular respirations his vital signs roll over the place he's not breathing well his saturation is in the 80s and we get him in the back of the rescue and uh and one of the guys are like oh yeah man i I secured this 18 gauge or i secured this 16 gauge sorry i've had a few drinks oh yeah that's that's perfect (laughs) Uh, that's, that's that's the uh that's the you know real thing of this podcast is we take a couple shots, uh, just for our viewers listening. But we talk about this guy had a sixteen gauge, and the guy's like, "Yeah, man, I dropped a sixteen gauge on this guy," and we're like, "Awesome!" So he ends up pushing, uh, sucks on our patient. Oh, and uh, you know, and that's fine. That's the only paralytic we carry. Copy. So we did our one point five milligrams per kilogram. You know for our medical director and we'll hey man I'll talk about it we do our 100 150 200 and so the guy started to have some posturing so we pushed our paralytic we went to go ahead and facilitate our intubation and uh, we looked at the IV and I said man dude this guy's so clenching man he's so posturing I, I can't get the tube I can't even get the laryngoscope in his mouth and um, the guy's like oh man he has a blown IV I'm like, well, all right. Well, hey, man, let's go ahead and IO him. And I'm, I'm big on IO, so I said, hey, let's go ahead and IO him. And uh, for me, an IO is going to be our primary. And then if we can get a, a, a Venus access, then we'll go with that. But you know, in a critical patient, I just want to be able to push my medications. Definitively. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, we talked about that. And he's like, okay. I'm said, well, hey, man, if that's blown, let's go ahead and draw up sucks again, and let's push it. Yeah, because I want to push it through a pain line. It's already gone. Exactly, and he said, gone. "I don't want to do that because that'll cause hyperkalemia." Oh my goodness! So Boy. give me a second, and, I, and I'll <laughs> and I'll discuss this. And I know Carlos right now is he's wanting to punch me and choke me out in the face, slap <laughs> like backhand slap. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Carlos is getting ready to beat me. So if I'm if I become non-existent from this podcast, I want you guys to understand it. So the hyperkalemia, right?
0: So so. So get get Keep going I'm not going to interrupt you so, so
1: you've pushed a, a, a dose of sucks Yeah. So we pushed I think it was around 125 or 150 of sucks Gotcha And uh, we obviously pushed it through a line That was blown with the 16 gauge And hey man I'm all about large bore IVs And I'm all about starting an IV in a vein that can handle the size mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to push 20s on everybody Especially in a trauma patient The larger the IV the better it's going to be for me and we talk about pushing this this succinylcholine and we talk about causing hyperkalemia and we talk about this not being through a patent line and this guy saying hey man I don't want to push a repetitive dose of succs because it's going to cause that hyperkalemia. And so for me I said no we're going to push this this secondary dose of succs because our patient is what I believe at this time to be a, a, a head injury patient, and he has the trismus, he has the unequal people sizes, his vital signs. He's looking at being that. um Oh man, I can't even think of it right now. Carlos, help me out. What's that sign when we talk about with the increased ICP and we have that head injury patient and we have so, their irregular respiration? a Yeah, but you know, like the uh, not Chain the Stokes. Chain Stokes. Well, that's going to be oh, a yeah, respiration oh, yeah. pattern. But we have our Trismas, Bex, right? our Bex triad Bex? for our cardiac tamponade. So it's uh, you got you have Cushions triad. So we had our Cushions oh, triad. You know, yeah. We had our hypertension with our widening pulse pressures, and we had our irregular uh, breathing. Irregular breathing. We had our bradycardia. Got gotcha. it. Yes. So I'm so looking at cushions my Cushions triad. triad, and I need to secure my airway because I need to monitor my end tidal CO2. That's my thing that I need to focus on right now. I'm not worried about my blood pressure. I'm worried about my oxygenation. I'm worried about my entitled CO2. I got a helicopter coming to my location and I need to secure this patient. And so the guy I'm working with says, hey, man, we're not going to do a repetitive dose of sucks. It's going to cause hyperkalemia. Well, when you learn about this information, all these people start talking about, oh man, you being a flight medic working as a street medic, you want to overtreat your patients. And that's not at all because my experience and what I've learned with hyperkalemia is it's it's fixable pre-hospitally because we talk about our C big K drop, right? Yeah, yeah. And for the viewers that are listening, when I talk about my C, big K-drop. I talk about my calcium gluconate. I talk about my bicarb and my beta-2 agonist. I talk about my insulin and my glucose. And the reason we give glucose is because we're giving the insulin and that opens up the cells and we want to give our glucose coat so we don't become hypoglycemic. And then we talk about later on, if that doesn't take effects, we move to K-axalite. Gotcha. Okay, and we don't carry that pre-hospitally with my department, and that's a lot of the stuff that you'll see with the inner facility of the hospitals, or you'll see in a lot of the critical care transports. But for me, the helicopters that we work with, they carry all of that stuff to fix the hyperkalemia. Which is, so which, why which, uh, are we going to withhold And the hyperkalemia, and I, I hate to interrupt you, Carlos. No, 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 go ahead. And the hyperkalemia is not going to take effect through a blown IV because it's going to have to metabolize through the system because it's not within that venous space. So why are we withholding that drug when I can push it to achieve what I need to do with my intubation? Absolutely. And then once I get that calcium drug, I can fix it. You know, like and move on from here. And that's what people talk about when they say, hey, you, know, you have all this information and you have all these you know, capabilities or these interventions. And yeah, I'm taking a step back, but I'm gonna to continue to push my sucks because I know the people coming to retrieve this patient have the ability to fix that. And as long as I voice my concern and I give a thorough pass down and let them know, like, hey, the first time we pushed this succinal coin it was through a bad IV. So I went ahead and pushed a secondary dose of 100 milligrams and I was able to f- facilitate this innovation, and I'm able to control my respirations with this patient who I think is having a head bleed and now they can give calcium gluconate or they can give bicarb and a beta two agonist and fix that issue. Well, hey, I, I'm still doing the best for my patient.
0: You, you know, and like, I think that that dude, the, the, the guy telling you this during that, during that case you're talking about is basing this stuff on bat like half information, right? So, like on half information, you know that you know that that giving succinylcholine is gonna release some bicarb within your body, you know. And there's patients that you shouldn't give succinylcholine on if you're Absolutely. expecting that there's gonna be a high car uh, uh, calcium level, right? So this is the thing. Like if you think that that uh, calcium is gonna be released during your succinylcholine, then number one, don't give it,
1: right? Now let me. Uh, cre- you talk about calcium or potassium. Uh, I'm sorry, potassium. Potassium. Sorry, potassium. Okay. sorry I'm yeah, a little drunk. About, so yeah, I, may, I, may, I, may, uh,
0: I may have missed up words there. Blame yep. Spanish. So we're so talking about potassium. Yeah. So you know, like potassium being released during. I'm glad you're here because you caught me on that. So you know, potassium being released during during like giving succinylcholine, and then this guy is telling you that he feels that a repeat dose of succinylcholine will cre- create this hyperkalemia. Situation right, too much potassium. Well, the reality is, like, if you feel that your patient's hyperkalemic, would you not be able to see it with signs and symptoms? Would you not be able to see it in the EKG? Would you not be, and you know, like every time I Absolutely. say hyperkalemia, somebody, somebody screams peak T waves. Well, you know, quite frankly, peak T waves ain't the fucking sign of hyperkalemia. I, I would say a wide. QRS, a slower
1: EKG. I'm looking at a wide QRS and I'm looking at bradycardia yeah, for my, for my hyperkalemia right. patients. That's, that's it. And we talk about hyperkalemia. let's say, you know, if I had my choice and I had my options and I'm looking at paralytic dosages, I'm not going to go to suction all the time. Man, and for man. us pre-hospital, you have to understand for us pre-hospital, this is a drug that we're given and I'm not a medical director. I'm not a PA. I'm not a nurse, man. I'm a simple paramedic. Um, and and we talk about how we're going to give this drug and and succinylcholine is not my first dose paralytic, but this is what I'm given and so I, the way I look at this drug. Is going to give me the opportunity to secure something I need to do that's going to benefit the patient. What you got? It's what and you with got. succinylcholine, I can correct every adverse effect that I create with that drug. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, Because I'm paralyzing my patient. So when I paralyze my patient, what do I need to do? I need to provide external ventilation for that patient. And I can do that once I secure my tube. Absolutely. And then if I'm going to cause hyperkalemic, which is another effect of the succinylcholine, I can create that with my C-Big-K-DROP acronym. Yeah. And so yeah. when you talk about these patients, or when you talk about these people that, that sometimes hear this, hey, man, you never want to be uh, too uh, eager with the suctional colon because that causes hyperkalemia. That's all they hear. They don't hear the antidote for hyperkalemia. And and it's scary in our pre-hospital field. And it's something that frightens me as a street paramedic because... You know I love the guys I work with, but they say, "Oh yeah, hey man, stop it. Let's let's not do that. It's going to cause hyperkalemia." But for everybody listening to this podcast, they know they're probably screaming at me right now, going, "Dude, hyperkalemia is so easy to fix." Well, that and it's not like the most. It isn't something you're going to see all the time. Every time you get sucks, like it's going to manifest at a later time, and I'm looking at 24 to 36 hours when this hyperkalemia is going to manifest. Why am I stopping my administration when I'm looking at RSI in my patient? So I need to RSI my patient, right? And I'm looking at you, Ryan, as I talk to this. I need to RSI my patient and my hyperclaim is going to manifest later on down the road, right? And I'm using a, I'm utilizing a helicopter to take my patient to a level one trauma center or a level two trauma center. Do you think they have the capability to fix that? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So why am I withholding that drug to innovate my patient? Right. So, you know, I, I think it's a good time to take a step
0: back and like kind of look at a few things here. So so number one is you have a patient with Cushions Triad, right? And one of those things that, that you want to do in Cushions Triad right, right off the bat. And like it's one of the few times that if you looked at all the paramedic books, Nancy Carolyn book, the Brady book, that that intubation and rapid sequence intubation is extremely recommended. Like you want to control the patient's airway. The patient's about to herniate. He's in what they would call herniation syndrome, right?
2: Right, getting close to so, bias.
0: So like they're about to herniate. You want to control the airway. You want to control what that CO2 <laughs> level is. And, and, and you know, RSI is one of those top things recommended. I'm going to come back. I'm going to ask Dakota. I said, if he if he knows in all the paramedic literature and all the books, which time rsi is the top recommendation which is this is crazy because it's one situation that the paramedic book says in this situation you rsi the patient every time so i'm gonna come back and ask you that okay so so you basically you look at a patient you need to secure the airway if you have the ability to sedate your patient and paralyze them boom that you're gonna that's what you're gonna do in a lot of places they they don't you know they have succinylcholine that's what they have um, you should know patients that you push succinylcholine on, patients you should not push succinylcholine on. Again, throughout this podcast,
1: we're going to talk about that. Well, and, you, it, and it's actually got to do with your case study today. Well, and the thing is, When you talk about pushing succinylcholine, you talk about, you know, we always think, and even for these paramedic students and, and these newer paramedics, we always talk about when do you push succinylcholine, and the contraindication is for your burn patients. Well, again, well, well, it well,
0: burns when? Wait, for
1: for our FPC people taking that like, when should I consider like not to give it 24 to 36 hours yeah absolutely so for me if I have an, an acute burn patient guess what they're getting they're going to get such on colon they're going to get sucked you know, that's because that's what I need to secure and we talk about this white tile the white towel method and we talk about looking as you see soot within their nasal passages and soot within their oropharynx and you have this patient cough and you see soot come on a white towel well well, yeah man i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna i'm gonna intubate and i'm gonna rsa prior to these patients crashing because once that airway starts to swell i mean yeah what, what, what are we going to ryan yeah absolutely what, uh, if, if I have my patient's area swelling, what am I going to go to? Crike, yeah, uh, I'm going to go to a surgical crike. Yeah. And I'm not afraid of crike, but I would much rather reduce that scarring and reduce that very invasive intervention. And I would much rather do a traditional oral yeah. tracheal intubation yeah, instead no, of cutting into your that's, neck. That's the because absolute... Because I don't care how much of a paragon you are, crikes are still dangerous. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. You know...
0: Interestingly enough, in 18 years of flying, um, there's a lot of times I've walked into somebody holding a trauma dressing over somebody's neck where they try to do a cracker, it didn't work out for them how they thought it would be. (laughs) And, uh, And, you know, it's like, you know, can't ventilate, can't oxygenate for me. That's the indication for a surgical airway. Cannot oxygenate, cannot ventilate. Right. Not as a rescue airway device. And, you know, earlier we were talking about this, and I was like, I, I said, I'm in a mental note to mention this. I I went to a class with the man, the airway man was talking, Dr. Ron Walls himself, difficult airway guy, dude. Like he's the guy. He's the guy. You know what I mean? He's the dude. He's the Lebowski of airways. <laughs> and uh, when you look at this guy, he sat there and he's like, if you've done more than five crikes, raise your hand. And, you know, probably maybe in a room of full of 100 people or so. I am in this class because my brother he's a CRNA. And uh, he he you know, he had to take this class so I went with him, you know? So I'm sitting in a class full of anesthesiologists, you know, and the CRNAs and stuff like that. And uh you know, a handful of people raise their hand. Like maybe room full of 100 people, let's say 15 people raise their hand. And he goes, "Okay, cool. We're going to put all you 15 people in the same group because we know you have an airway problem."
3: Right.
0: <laughs> we know you can't find the top hole when the patient's faced
1: up <laughs> you know it, and that's it, the big thing man you talk about these cranks and uh, we have so many acronyms and new and, mnemonics and we have so many and you know I teach paramedic and EMT school and I teach a lot of continuing education a lot of the guys I I teach continuing education for and i know we've gotten sidetracked from my background no, absolutely and, and who going. i am but i teach a lot of the pjs based out of central florida and i teach a lot of paramedic students and i teach them all these acronyms and you know the burke mnemonic and the celix maneuver and and i tell them and everyone anywhere in the world thinks the celix maneuver is to help identify your trachea and no. i tell them i say Guys, you got to realize the celix maneuver is to help with aspiration, not yeah. to visualize your vocal cords. The burp mnemonic is to help visualize your vocal cords. And it's all about the cheers method. And I tell these guys cuz I mean obviously everybody who's a firefighter and paramedic is an alcoholic. Yeah. And everybody knows how to cheers. Cheers. And I tell these guys you're going up and out. It's not this back and drinking. I said drinking yeah. is bad and your cheering is good. Yeah. So when you cheers what do you do, Ryan? You go up and out. Up and out. Uh-oh. And when you drink, what do you do? You go to back and up. Yeah. And we have—we like all have these demonic We all have these mnemonics. And when you go back and up, and you hear those teeth clicking, and you go out. Oh and, my and, That technique. Yeah, and you go out and up, and you can see those vocal cords slowly align, and you can have that birth mnemonic, as we all know that backwards, upwards, right, in pressure.
0: I like, we, I like
1: burping myself. Like, I do the burp myself. Like it, 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 I don't even call it burp. The burp yourself, and then you
0: hold it, and then yeah. that person comes in and holds it for I you. I grab somebody's hand, and I put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, that's that's the thing. It's just being calm, knowing what you're looking at, and, and just knowing the situation you're in. And pushing the right drug, right patient, right time, all our five rights. A lot of times, people go, man, all this stuff I learned in school, and they... And they They forget it, and maybe they go, Carlos. You teach this stuff all the time. That's why you remember. But the reality is, no. I practice it every day. Absolutely. I practice it every day. Like I, I, you know, I, I still fly. I still work off a rescue truck. I still do the stuff that I talk about in class all the time. Absolutely. And that, and I've done that. I've passed up promotions. I haven't taken tests so I could be the guy next to the patient, the guy making the decision. So I can sit in the situation where I'm teaching, passing it on to other people and go like, hey, listen, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I just did this yesterday, and this is what you need to do. You know, and and, and i tell you, Ryan, Dakota, that that's the biggest thing that you have to be, is just being calm and knowing you're doing the right thing at the right time, right patient, right dose, right route. You know, that's that's legit. So back to your your case with your your guy right there, you know, it's like there's nothing in your story that tells me your guy's in hyperkalemia. You didn't tell me the guy was in di- a dialysis patient. You didn't tell me anything like that. But I can tell you that if I put sucks in a colon a hundred times, a hundred times, which I probably I say if I took my last hundred R size that I've done at work, I've probably used sucks. Absolutely. I haven't had a single person go into hyperkalemia because the last hundred times I've used succinylcholine, I picked the right patient, the right dose, right time, right indication. Absolutely. It doesn't pass that. Like, and you know, it's like, man, like you're teaching stuff to people to take a test and like, well, I practice as it is in the book. I practice as it is as I'm taking, you know, and the biggest reason why is I always imagine my son sitting there taking the class, if my kid is in there taking a the class, I would want, my kid's going to call me out of my bullshit. Uh, yeah. Right? So yep. then my kid comes out and he sees me working and then he goes, hey, dad. Hey, man, know? I live with my roommates. So I call them yeah, out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, dad. Man, you got a YQRS, guy with a dialysis shunt. You put sucks on? a That's bullshit. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My kid would call me out of my bullshit. And that's that's the way I am. I want people to call I me out on so. shit. Yeah, yep. I want people to call me out. I want people to go, "Hey man,
1: you doing what you're supposed to be doing," because man, I live it. I live it every day. Well, here's the thing, man. I don't necessarily look at it as calling somebody out, but you got to correct somebody who's going to be dead. Detri- about me. You got to nah. be detrimental to your patient, and like, yeah. just well, let me back up to what you just said it's not about you it ain't about it's me. not about your ego it's you not about your about education you gotta look what best is for your patient and that's what i tell everybody i said man just because i'm the medic on this call doesn't mean i know everything yeah, you ain't just right, because you the be fact right. that i hold an fpc certification doesn't mean it's about me no nah. because i can tell you what there's so many times that i've been on a call where I get caught up in my own mind and somebody says, hey Dakota, what do you think about this? And I say, hey, you're absolutely right. Thank you for I, saying that. Have you, you know, like their situation- Medicine is a humbling job. It's a practice,
0: man. It's a practice, bro. Absolutely. It's a practice. That means you get it wrong sometimes.
1: Absolutely. You know, you get it wrong sometimes. Really Let me on practice, man. Well, you have to appreciate the people you work with. Yeah. You have to, and you have to be humble and you have to be mm-hmm. able to admit humility. And a lot of these guys who work in this field have a hard time with humility because they don't want to be the guy that says, hey, man, thank you for pointing that out. And a lot of the people who make good paramedics are great at realizing humility. Absolutely, man. And you that's don't know what makes you good, man. man. And for me, man, I'm all about like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a lot of BS with the best of them. But when it comes down to it, if I'm on a serious call and you realize something that I'm doing is wrong – please call me tell out. me tell me about yeah, it. Absolutely. hey man i have no problem being called out in the middle of a critical call you know, because i want to realize my humility and that gets me back on track
0: you know man like i remember being 18 years old running this call brand new dude in city of orlando you know like and it's a, a it's a murder suicide and to protect the innocent i'm not gonna mention a bunch of details but you got pediatric patients you got an adult patient and i'm on a unit where I got floated there for the day, where I'm the only paramedic, (laughs) and three EMTs. Now, these EMTs, though, let me tell you about these guys. (laughs) One of the guys- Hey, man, EMT, safe paramedics? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Vietnam vet. Vietnam vet, 25 years, City of Orlando Fire Department, as an EMT firefighter, paramedic, black dude, Mr. Rosie. Mr. Rosie's out there, he probably probably don't listen to the podcast, but Mr. Rosie out there, man, just uh a let just a genuine Jake. If you know what I'm talking about, a Jake, you, that's a that's a that's an old school fireman term. That's a that's a fireman. Like just fireman's fireman, you know what I mean? But a hell of a DMT. Hell of an EMT. And I got an EMT engineer and I got an EMT lieutenant. And and I'm going to this bad call. And I'm 18 years old. I'm the I'm the guy making supposed to be making decisions. And Mr. Rosie looks at me in the middle of the call and he goes, young man, we're expecting you to tell us what to do. <laughs> but you've never seen some shit like this before, have you? He goes, no, sir, I have not. I'm shaky. I don't know what the fuck to do. But Mr. Rosie goes, you know, man, you just go and assess your patients and then you tell us what you need us to do. He goes, there's nothing different than ABCs, right? Just do your ABCs. After all the stuff you've learned, Dakota, after all the things you've been through, does it change? Is it ABC still? It's ABCs, man. Now if the patient's bleeding, I'm gonna do C A B. Mm-hmm. Right? But it doesn't change, man. Well, I'm
1: first gonna do my shock index. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna take my (laughs) systolic.
1: I'm gonna take my systolic blood pressure and I'm gonna go through my uh, I'm gonna divide that by my blood pressure. I'm gonna look at my massive transfusions but i tell you what yeah think, you're I, absolutely right carlos it i does, think the, it does the, not change basically summarizing your story is, is, is that what i'm telling
0: you here is this that i think your man on that call forgot that how you forgot his regular assessment he forgot to look at the patient and, well, and he, make those decisions you know
1: based on what the patient looks like well here's the deal carlos and i and i say that because i i was that street medic once I heard a little bit of information and I utilized that oh to man, my to, 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 to my benefit. And I, I don't discredit this guy because so many times from the people that we listen to give us a little bit of information and they don't give us much more than that. And they say, don't act upon this. They, they don't give us the ability to think and they say, here's the information and don't look further past this. Okay, and so for this guy who who did not continue his education, and and I don't blame him for that. No, man, and he's giving me the information that he learned. And you know, it should have been for me to speak up and tell that and we were able to secure an LMA with this patient and we were able to secure a good airway and we were able to get the capnography wherever we, we needed a PTV But when the helicopter arrived on scene and we told this guy about hyperclaiming, they kinda of looked at us and, and, and they shrugged their shoulders. And, and I tell you, you know, when I look at this as Carlos, who who currently flies, you know, with a Central Florida uh you know, rotary ring aviation team, and and I like these guys who who hear this stuff on a regular basis and I say, Hey man, you know. You know, and after the call, you know, we always look through our, you know, debriefing. And and I talked to this guy about what we were talking about and and how we can explain that to the teams and and how they can correct that. And it's not a big issue. And that's the way to approach the situation. And and I'm one of those guys who who I understand it because I was a street medic for so long. And so that's how I approach the situation. And and I learned that as an educational point. And, you know, me being an educator currently in the field, and I know we talk about my, my lifestyle, that's how I, uh, you know, talk to all my students and stuff, and and we'll get through that here, you know. Currently, with how I teach my students about certain things, and and that's how I approach that situation with my coworker.
0: You know, I, I think that a lot of people in education, when we're doing this stuff, they 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 think that they got to present themselves in a different way than they really are. In the yeah. rea- and the reality is that man, people want genuine people. Mm-hmm. They they yeah. want you to be yourself. They want you to be. And, 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 you know, I think that that's what we do different as a company is that that when we go out and teach classes, the the infectious portion of us is the fact that people can relate. Yeah. You know, they they can relate to the imperfections. They can relate to the things that that
1: we we are not, you know. Well, let's break it down, man. And and I don't want to be a, um, I don't want to lie to these people listening to this podcast, (laughs) but the first time that I attended an FPC review class with Carlos Man, I don't even know how to spell the word malignant hypothermia, let alone dantrolene. And we talk about this I and Carlos is staying up in the class and, and I've told Carlos this story a hundred times. And, you know, I've spoken to Ryan about this, but, you know, I attended day one, FP, you know, aircrew medical course with Carlos and we talked about, and he's going through this lecture, and he's like, you know, you guys all know the, uh, you know, the antidote for uh, malignant hypothermia. And I'm looking with three of my coworkers, and we all kind of look at each other and smile and put our head down. And everyone in the class, man, we're in the class- I taking pictures in that moment. Oh, yeah. oh and we're all in a <laughs> class of about 18 people, and they all yell dantrolene. And I look at my, my coworkers, and, and we all put our head down, and you know, and we're in this class with medical directors who are establishing flight teams and I'm looking at my coworkers, and I'm putting my head down in my notebook, and I'm going, "Hey, uh, how do you spell dandrily?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> and these guys are looking oh, at me like, man, "I don't know." And, and
1: you know, poor Carlos is looking at us, going, "You know, these guys are texting in the middle of my class, and mouth it's crazy." Pranks. Yeah, like yeah. mouth breathers, and uh. and I'm looking at Carlos, <laughs> and he's looking at us on uh. our phones. And he probably thinks we're texting, you know, our our side pieces or our girlfriends or, you know, you know, responding back on our Tinder or or our Bumble dates. Yeah, or Googling and and literally we're Googling (laughs) Dantrolene. And, uh, you know, me being just, you know, a street medic, I'm Googling Dantrolene. And it was just this humbling experience. I remember day one of air crew medical class, me, Mike and Devin walked outside. And we looked at each other and said, we don't belong here. We said, and and it was funny because I was the one who signed all of us up for this class. So for me, going back to my history, you know, being a, being a child who was taken out of school by his father and being homeschooled on the road and traveling, you know, the entire country and, and being homeschooled by my parents, you know, our parents homeschooled us and, you know, we attended these homeschool groups, and by all means, man, we were not your traditional homeschoolers because people homeschool their children because they don't want them experiencing the real world and they don't want them experiencing <laughs> right. life. And yeah. my parents homeschool us because they wanted us to experience in life. And you know, I remember being like 13 years old, walking down Las Vegas Strip and getting handed pamphlets on like the lady in red, the lady in the night, and you know, experiencing right. all this life and and going out there and I remember we attended homeschool groups and their parents didn't even allow me to watch (laughs) Disney movies and me and my brother at this time had already been on the Las Vegas strip game pamphlets on like the lady of the night and prostitutes and so you know we've already experienced all this and we're like mom hey this is not for us like I cannot and I remember I went back to high school with you know with my junior and senior year to get my you know high school diploma because I was like you know I want to attend high school and I want to be about this and it was just so funny man like being a part of that And, and, you know, you know, all, you know uh, all my, you know all my family members and in my parents siblings told us like you know when you high school, you know you when you uh, educate your children at as homeschoolers you know they're never gonna receive that benefit of being in public and they're never gonna receive that benefit of like you know uh, you know being in an educational standpoint right. and receiving that uh, social interaction and it's so funny man because I look at. You know, a, a lot of the people that I associated with, and even the people I went to high school and You know, my brother and I are are you know are not college attendees, and and we're in zero debt. We're in you know critical professions. You know, we've achieved certifications that minimal people have, mm-hmm. and I have no debt to my name, and yet I'm in a position that has allowed me to make more money than people with master's degree. You look at people with master's oh, yeah. degree, and they're in debt up to a hundred thousand dollars, and especially in this day and age they're only making $38,000 a year. And then with my career path, I'm making a substantial amount of money and I'm going to look you know, collect that into my savings. It's just so funny, that that homeschool realm. And yeah, I, and I understand that from an outsider perspective yeah, and, no, and looking at absolutely. people. And, and I was they always home see though. that. Yeah. I, was, I was homeschooled till, till I went to high school. Yeah, and they always see that. Yeah. And they go, oh, man, homeschoolers, man. Like, that explains a lot. We always make jokes about Something. it. And, I, and I'm so funny I, with it, man. Like, I make jokes about it What's your it all brother do? What's your brother do? My brother is actually a uh, studio musician. He's played with large-name bands. Unreal. And he has mastered his art and his talent into perfecting his craft, and so many people look at this and they've achieved college education. And you look at my brother, and it's so funny, man. We're opposite sides of the spectrum. You know, I'm yeah. like this short-haired guy, and I just cut my hair, and I'm just a short-haired guy involved in medicine. <laughs> and my brother's got hair down to really? his lower back, and he's this critically tamed, you know musician and he's so talented in everything he does and he's played large-scale concerts and he's played the war torn orlando and he's gone out that's and played the cali right you know reggae fest and everything that he's accomplished and you know, that we were both homeschooled children from my parents man and, that's unreal What what instruments does he play does he play like every- he plays guitar and he's a singer Oh, and man. I mean, he's real, he plays guitar, and that's his perfection. He sings, and, that, and that's something he focuses on. But he plays bass, he plays drums. I mean, the, he's the guy, Prince, yeah, dude. Your the brother's guy, Prince. The guy picks up everything and he masters it. And it's, it's the fact that, like, you've encouraged, and it's one of those things that you look at where, uh, you see, I, I can't remember who made the quote, but it's like, if you judge. A fish on its ability to climb a tree, it's gonna think it's gonna it's no fail, man. Yeah, it's, its entire life. And my parents were I always think... were always so encouraging of our lifestyle, and they encourage that artistic musician side. And you know, I play b- bass guitar. I think that and was drums. I gotta for yeah. that. that. Yeah, that is. I think it seasonal. was Doctor Seuss. Yeah, I think you're correct. But, but you, know. you know, like.
0: Man, like I, I have this class that I teach on mastering your art, man, and, and I'm a fan of like just listening to masters just of their craft. And you and and, I, and you listen, man. Like I'm I'm 20 years into this. I'm still in in search of mastering my craft. I haven't mastered it. I, I'm not an expert at what I do. I'm just a beginner. But but this is the thing, bro. Like you talk about. You look at Prince so I have this lecture I do on on just being mastering what you do and you talk about Prince you know that Prince played every instrument on every single one of his records and because he wanted to know if there was an imperfection on the recording of the record it was on him not on his fucking uh, musician playing it so,
1: like, you know, Prince played everything. Well, I think everybody. that has a lot to say about yourself, too, Carlos, because none of people have that realization. You know, you talk about mastering a craft 20 years into this job. You I think that has a lot to say about you as a flight medic yourself and a, and a critical care nurse as yourself because you, you realize that medicine is often always evolving, evolving yeah. and that you have to stay with the changes. And and you talk about all this stuff, and, and that's a big thing for me. I mean, even me being a recently new flight paramedic i mean and and that's such a big influence to me to understand that hey man people who have been in this job for 20 years are still educating themselves yeah no you
0: have to man you have to stay you can't know everything and you can't be that person that goes i know everything because man people suffer after that right like
1: people will suffer you talk about suffering, man, and that means so much to me because when I went to go take my FPC through the International Board of Specialty Certification, I filled my first test by two questions. And that was heartbreaking for me. And I remember sitting there talking and, you know, I said, you know, let me take a step back. Let, let me look at this from a third party perspective. And I said, you know what, this this is sad, but this is humbling. You know, me yeah. being a fireman, I said, This is one of those things that I need to look at and say, hold on. You failed this for a reason. you got to look back at this and realize this is a humbling experience. And yes, it was an expensive test. It's like $450. (laughs) And that was, I think that was more heartbreaking than anything else is having to repay for this test. But it was a good experience for me mentally to say, hold on, this is something you truly want. This is something that you have to take a step back from and realize how important it is. And not everybody has this certification and go back, restudy some of the stuff that you had a mistake on and had to get clarification on and go back and take this test and achieve it and the next time i took the test i took it computer-based and i passed it in less than an hour and i walked out and i I had a
0: passing do you think you're a better flight paramedic um you would be you're better now at your job than you
1: it means more now than it did before didn't it a hundred percent and in it and it's horrible to have to pass that test. I mean, when I got the passing grade, because I studied a lot, it it was heartbreaking. But understanding that only a select few, select few carry the certification and going back and passing it. And I forget exactly how I mentioned it to one of the guys I was talking to. And, I, and I'll look it up because I don't want to mistake this quote.
2: Um, speaking of quotes while you're looking that up I want to backtrack a little bit
1: yeah go ahead um, so we were talking about
2: you said uh, you, you started to quote it you didn't get it spot on but I'll I'll bring everybody up to speed it's everyone is a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will live its life believing that it is stupid so that wasn't Dr. Seuss that was Albert Einstein oh man really yeah man we um, went
0: back to uh, to a to master mason
2: yeah we did Albert Einstein absolutely yeah um, so so uh, That being said, um, so that just clarifies that, what we were talking about. And secondly, Dakota, there's something uh, me individually that I recognize in you is like, I think one of the easiest things that I have the ability to do is recognize myself in others. And I think a lot of times the more self-aware we are, the more we're able to recognize ourselves within others. Absolutely. And and also on the same extent to recognize something that we don't recognize within ourselves. And that gives us the ability to be like, okay, there's something I don't recognize. Let me... Let me try to hone in on that. And uh, I do this, I I guess, consciously, slash subconsciously, inadvertently, advertently, whatever. But like, it, it's always happening. I'm always analyzing the people around me and, and trying to find those common denominators. And a lot of the times I can point them out. And a lot of times over the course of time, they, they show themselves when I haven't been able to figure them out. Um, <laughs> Carlos has joked about it earlier in the podcast, but well, you're a cultured person and and I have to think that I'm cultured. One thing you you, you voiced and talked about is your are uh, traveling and you're being homeschooled and moving around as a uh, young child. Yeah. And um, for me, like, so my dad was a long haul truck driver, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things um, that that I I think that I may have learned or or um, came to understand over the course of my life but i've been to every state in the united states except for Hawaii and alaska before i was 18.
1: yep that's that's, and, that's
0: awesome right there
1: so like i i, I the I, only I, state i haven't been to is alaska i've been to hawaii i was, was there cool. for, for like three weeks so like my dad like he'd come home it'd be
2: like a uh, school would end um summer would begin you know and you have your three months of summer like i would spend no shit out of those three months of summer i'd spend nine to ten of those weeks going back and forth to coast, yeah. back and forth back that's and forth awesome. ever since i was like probably seven or eight years old till about well my dad died when i was 18 so right about 18 i remember the summer before my 17th uh my Man. 17th birthday um uh, but ever, up to that point i had spent like a majority of my school summers going coast to coast, coast And you
0: coast. know you know what something that, that, that's awesome like to, with all this COVID stuff that's happened this year, twenty twenty, you know what I mean? Like it's twenty it, twenty's been uh, it's a changing event. Oh yeah, it's for 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 uh, for the world. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, like in twenty twenty, with the COVID, the wow. the uh, all the hate stuff that's happened, and the riots and all that stuff there. Yeah. The one thing,
1: Julius the- Campbell and Barry. Yeah, Gary Julius Campbell. How was his name? Julius Campbell. Campbell. Oh, I thought yeah. I remember. It's yeah. Julius Campbell, Campbell and Gary Bertier. Yeah.
0: So, you know, to make it full circle and close the loop on this, that's a that's a, a CRM uh, thing there for our flight people. Listen, like. People didn't like appreciating the the truckers in the world. That that how like
2: backbone of America,
0: That's the backbone of America. It's how how stuff man. gets there. And for Fuck a person yeah. that's like maybe stood in line waiting for toilet paper, <laughs> you know, that came to you from a trucker. Absolutely. A truck that, that that's like man, there is a blue collar backbone soul of the of US that is unreal you know oh, what yeah. i mean like it, oh, it, it, yeah. it's like we don't function without those guys no you know and it's a, it's crazy that 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 uh it you know i'm sure your dad didn't go co- your dad college man like, he to make no, my, my
2: dad was a cowboy man my, so yeah. my dad was
0: my dad was killed by a horse <laughs> oh
2: my goodness i tell you man there's so much layers to
1: this ryan so here's <laughs> let, let, let me make an input here and i'm, I'm gonna relate this back to ems and we talk about how people don't realize what takes place in America until they need it. Absolutely, like, I, oh, no, I, make, I make a reference about the toilet paper, and you you make a reference about the toilet yeah. paper, and. Right and I'm going to attribute it to this. You talk about EMS and you talk about how people don't realize what they need and you know, everyone sees a fireman and, and let's be real, man. Everyone associates the sexy fireman competitions, and oh, fireman man. going out there and wearing their bunker pants without their shirts and, and <laughs> they associates, it. you know, the paramedics with, you know, being lifesavers. But nobody truly realizes what they do until one of their family members oh, is yeah. in need of life-saving so interventions. And you talk about this, how people are willing to give every last bit of their possessions to save one of their loved family members until it comes to one of their family members being in need of that help i'm gonna stop you really quick stop me we're on episode two right yeah. episode one
2: carlos what happened like remember do you remember episode one mm-hmm. so there was a 911 call happening like right before we started episode one of this podcast so i don't, up- think. don't think go ahead my mom you remember oh
0: yeah that's right man like, like literally
2: you know, like at the beginning of yeah your mom one, having a stroke yeah, no, well, yeah, we, we thought, thought she, it was we, a stroke so we thought she was having so yeah, I mean, yeah we thought mom, it was a like, stroke my brother called me and he yeah we
1: from... all went to pensacola before just before yeah. that yeah
2: was that when we did the
1: that was pensacola yeah. we were going to we so that, we're doing a water egress yeah that was a day that was a oh, day, was the day we went yeah. to Pensacola. we were in the driveway of carlos's house and you came up and you said hey man I'm on the phone with the paramedics. I think my mom's having a stroke. Right.
2: Yeah. So I brought back that like that moment, but um, but
1: yeah. And you
2: know, man, like
0: being the son of a fireman and the uh, the 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 grandson of a fireman. <laughs> you and and you know, I didn't know my old man there for work till I was like, you know, maybe seven years old. You know, I just know the dude would for a day and then come back. And uh, you know, and it's my my dad. Man, he was a man first, fireman yep. second. Yep. Yeah. Man. First. Man first, Always. fireman second. Man, and, you know that's what we got taught in our house. Is you know, it's like, uh, and it's so so amazing, Dakota. Like that, the people that 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 are uh, that work here, the rescue company one, come from the same cut. Like we're all like this, the collected group of people that just love the fellow man more than, than they love themselves and love more than just, you know, we're, we're out here just for other people. Yep. You know, what and, can I do for you? Yeah. And, and like, I think that's why, like the people that last year is not a money thing. We talked about this in episode one. We're like, it's, it's not getting paid because, uh, you know, we're broke. Uh, but it's, uh, but it's the, is the, just that, you know, we're putting our money back into making this better. Making that going out there so we can be available to help other
1: people. You know, and, and we talked about this when I filled my FPC for the first time by two questions. And, and we talked about what I told one of my one of my close confidants. And we talked about uh, what I told him. And, and it's often one of those things. And, and I I just looked it up where what I, what I wrote to him and I said, the feeling of failure preceded by victory is an esoteric feeling. Man, what a saying. That's, that's awesome right there. You know, and I take full credit for that because he'd asked me, he's like, oh man, you know, how have you been doing and, and, and what's everything going on with you and, and, and your endeavors? <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I'm kind of going through some stuff. I, you know, I failed a test and I said, but you know what, for me, that, that feeling of victory preceded by failure, it means so much more because that's yeah. what you truly wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be able to relate that to somebody else and say, hey man, it's okay to fail. As long as you know that's only a hiccup and only a speed bump in this pursuitment of a dream. Yeah. Like, I'm it's in a, a pursuitment of, of making something my dream and making something a, a lifelong career, and this is only a small hiccup. Yeah. And, and for me, that is that's just a part of growing as a person. Oh, yeah. And that's just a part of this humbling factor. And you know, us being firemen, and, and Carlos can relate to this. I mean, how many times do we take a test and we look at somebody and go, Hey, man, you got that study guide? And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm speaking to my firemen right now who are listening to this podcast. Yeah. And a study guide <laughs> means, Do you have the answers? You yeah, have the answers <laughs> to the test. Yeah. yeah a, I need a, a, I need, a, I need, a, I need a cram for this. Uh, exactly. Thing. You, and could, a study, you can't cram for an FPC, man. Yeah. And a study guide means, Do you have the answer sheet? And there's nah, no answer no sheet for it. the FPC. And that was something that, you know, me just being, you know, ignorant to this test and hey man I'm I'm totally cool saying hey I failed this test I wasn't properly prepared I I was in a different state of mind before I took this test and and I hope people can learn from my experience to know that this test it 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 doesn't matter whether or not how much you've studied or whether or not what you know or whether or not you know the different study guys you have either you know the material or you don't yeah and even if you know the material and you pass the test it doesn't make you a good flight paramedic There's still stuff. Just because I carry this certification does not mean that I'm a qualified flight paramedic. It means that, yes, I hold the certification, but there's stuff I still need to learn. So I I I want this to be a moment for these people who are getting ready to obtain this FPC to say, don't Don't stop studying. Don't relate to everyone that you have an FPC. Remember that you need to continue this education
0: So, you know, it's interesting you say that right here at the same table last night where I'm having dinner and uh, finish this thought real quick. And and uh, me and me and Robbie were working together yesterday. And again, I was upset about an incident that happened the day before where I thought people could have been lost. Today, this podcast, would have been talking about having a funeral for flight crew. Now, the guy that I attribute to why those guys didn't die is a guy that's not an FPC. Now, this guy's been flying 20 years. So you talk about 20 years ago, there was no FPC. You know what I mean? Like, this is a newer thing that's out there, which is the standard hiring, is a basic set of knowledge that you need to have to do your job. And this guy, what he does have, where he, he doesn't have an FPC, but he's got 20 years of flying in a helicopter. Now, this guy yesterday He saved the two kid himself and the the pilot and the nurse by just knowing that my eyes don't need to be on that scene. My eyes need to be looking opposite where the pilot is looking. He, he he, God damn it, man, this dude, you can't teach that shit. Mm -mm. You can't teach the dude to not look at the fucked up thing that's happening down on the ground. He's looking across and he caught a helicopter that they almost hit head on. And um, hopefully in the future, we're gonna have this dude on the podcast, man. And like, and I'm looking at that and you know, me as a guy that, you know, owns the rescue company one, as the, the instructor here, as the guy trying to create the future of helicopter air medicine, I go, man, how do you teach that? How do you teach that? I'm sitting here asking Robbie you last don't, night. You don't
1: teach that, car. Yeah,
0: I'm like, how do you get some, how do I get a guy in that seat? The day one that he's responsible for knowing. I said, man, you Compassion. can't. Compassion. You can't. You can't. Like, oh, all, all I can do is share this story. So I couldn't wait today to record to go like and go like, hey, man, hopefully five people hear this and they relate the story. They go, you know what, man? Like, this dude, he, you know, <laughs> I don't need that guy to know how to what vent settings to do. I took, Like, I need them to know that. I need him to know all this other stuff, but I need him to be more that guy, that that dude that knows to, fuck man, go hey helicopter, I'm looking
2: the opposite way. Let's get as many people home today as we can.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man, and that that guy, man, I'll tell his name is Steve, man. That, that that dude, everybody calls him Peanut.
1: And, and here's and the like, deal, Carlos. I think what you're trying to relate right now is that experience is an oh invaluable. man, you cannot you cannot change replace that. experience. You cannot change that. Here's can, the deal, man. You can teach people, it. Let me relate it to this quote. You can only lead a horse to water. You can't teach them how to drink. Yeah, It is one of those things yeah. that when you put somebody in a helicopter, you can't teach them what to look out for. You can tell them, hey, man, this is what we need to see. But a majority of the time, they're only going to think about what they're going to and what they're responding to. They're not going to think about everything else associated with flying in the air. Yeah. So when you talk about... What is associated with being in an airborne, airborne apparatus, you're not going to have that. You only can teach that and apply that to somebody who's experienced that episode. Yeah. And for people who have not flown and who just get their FPC, they're not going to have that experience. No, man. And that's one of those guys that when you talk about this gentleman, Steve… You need to take him and you need to capitalize on his experience and his information and you need to express that to others, but you cannot replicate that individual. You know, you get this 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 incident that happens and you look at three people that figured
0: that <coughs> that was their last day. Now, I've been in two air medical accidents with that I've walked away from where, where like, you know, in classes I talk, you know, I tell people about that stuff and and, and you know everybody's got the same look. everybody's got the same look. everybody's got that same like paleness to them and and you go, man that that could have been our last day and uh, this guy I'm looking at him man I, I'm watching him sleep. that's so creepy, right? <laughs> so like the dude he's uh I, I sleep in a recliner like if I'm at the fire station or if I'm at uh at the helicopter. I sleep on the recliner. I haven't slept in a bed in twenty some odd years of doing this. So I'm in the recliner. This happens to be the only other weirdo that sleeps in a recliner. So I'm watching this guy sleep. I can't sleep, and I'm watching him. And he, and he fell asleep finally. You know, he was pacing. He was he wasn't being himself. And I go, I watch this guy sleeping, and he just finally goes out. And I go, man, that's that right there. Is a man that. Just, just to say that there's a lot of people in the world walking today. Maybe the guy that discovers the cure to something, the person that, that created this, are walking there that day because that guy may have helped his parent, may have helped him. He's he just yeah. thousands of lives. He's that guy saved. You, you know what I mean? Like, and he's sitting there just sleeping and he's like, looks like a baby sleeping. And uh, you go, man, that dude, That could have been his last day today, but at the end of the day, there's two people walking today where everything tastes sweeter, everything is better. There is no problem in the world because this guy just saved other guys' lives. Like I just don't know how you explain that. Like how does that, man, that dude's just taking a nap. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just taking a nap and I can't sleep because I know. I just, I'm like, man, I know. I do have to say that to kind of conclude that this this thing on this story, but is that, you know, finally my boss called me last night, and I'm talking to him. He's a good dude, man, and I've known this guy a long time. And um, he, he he's like, man, dude, I should have just showed up. I should have just came and saw what you saw, you know. And, and I didn't bother my boss. I should have called him. I should have gone like, hey, man, maybe this dude. But I was being my brother's keeper at the time. I was being my brother's keeper and, and and I was just, I was concentrated on him and I talked to the pilot, you know, side, in, on the side and I go, hey man, like there's not much that we're gonna go on tonight. Tonight you just might as well consider us out of service because I'm gonna be here to just make sure this guy's okay and this guy's my responsibility and we got two other helicopters that can take calls. So we're not gonna sit, we're not gonna go on anything. This guy's gonna sleep it out tonight. I said, please. Just know where my mindset at. is not going on a call. My mindset is I'm making sure that this guy's OK today. It, it, and it's just uh, that was my responsibility for that day. I think that's a
1: big responsibility on
0: yeah. the behalf of yeah. you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, man, it's like like Dakota said, is that, that we're the type of people that no matter what happens to us throughout the day, we're not going to call our boss and tell him we're going to go home sick. Right. We're not going to go, hey, we can't do the job right now. No, we're gonna come in sick, we're gonna work sick, we're gonna work through what just happened and we're gonna make sure that we're there to do what we gotta do. You know what I mean? That's that's where, you know kinda like where I was going with that whole point. But oh, I still course. wanna know a little bit more about Dakota. You oh, know, and, and I'm gonna tell you this, Dakota started this, this is why he's up in my level now. He's, you know, I don't know, I might as well call him my number two. And <laughs> he's my number two. Is that he started off basically with a movie? He started off explaining himself with a movie, man. Like, I, I don't know how you can't. I'm a movie fan, dude. I love movies, man. I love that stuff. I, I like, that's. So, you started off right off the bat. So, you want me over with that?
1: Remember the times, man. Yeah. If you want to know about Dakota,
0: you. Won't man, you took the away times. like three of my questions that I've sat here for like two days, three days prepping before he came here with this. He like, he knocked that out. But listen, I got this, this one. One question we're going. We talked about this last last podcast, me and Ryan. I said this is one question, the code. I'm going to ask you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, mind you, you're sitting in an interview. You want this job. Okay. Okay. You want this job. You want to get this job. I don't want anything. People want. Yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and I'm going to ask you the question. This is how, it's like just about every uh, interview you've ever gone to, and they're going to ask you what your worst quality is. Now, before you answer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away an answer. I'm going to take away the the answer where you go, well, I'm a real hard worker, so that's my worst quality. I tend to, you know, that thing where you take a positive and make it into a negative. I, I'm that's take like my
1: Michael Scott <laughs> answer. Dude. That's like, I'll take that from the we'll audience. Take a negative, yeah. rather. That's yeah, my yeah, Michael yeah,
0: Scott. yeah, take a negative, make it into a positive, right? Listen, man, I want to know what a negative is. Okay. I want to know what your worst flaw is, what your worst thing is. And, and that's the worse it is, the better your odds are getting this job.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you know what, man? Let me tell you what. My worst quality is organizational skills. All right. Explain. I am terrible. And let, let me put it to you like this. Savannah.
0: Yeah. She is. The woman's a saint.
1: She's a saint. She is organized, everything has a place, everything has a time, everything has a a, a responsibility as to what it does, and for me, yeah, anything can fulfill its position. It's all right, man. For me, organizational skills is I put something on my floor and I hide it (laughs) underneath my bed (laughs) upon the left bedpost, and if you move it, I don't know where it is. You're hired. Yeah. So for me, when you talk about my worst skill, oh man, is, is is organizing stuff. And I know that sounds terrible as, as a firefighter, paramedic, mm. and a and a flight medic and a contract medic is I I'm terrible at organizing stuff. And I know that's frightening and scary. But the way I look at it is, I would say I'm worse at organizing my personal life. And I do all of the things I do terribly worse than the things that I do. I become so organized and hyper-focused on when I'm at work that when I leave, the last thing I want to do is apply my mind. And I'll be 100% honest with that. I love it, man. And people will vouch for me. But when I leave work, the last thing I want to do is apply my mind. And it is so hard for me to shut my mind off when I leave work because I'm always thinking on how can I improve certain aspects. And I am always going from idea to idea to idea without ever truly finishing one idea. That I have all of these things that I'm trying to manifest, and I can't accomplish anything on my own. And it is, it is my kryptonite, a hundred percent. And wow. uh, so when you when you when you ask me that question, Carlos, yeah, the worst thing about me is I start all these projects, and I want to finish everything at one time. But I but I can't I can't focus on one individual thing and I can't organize one individual thing to get that accomplished and see it through because I'm 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 a squirrel. Here's the deal, man. I'm a squirrel. I love the realness. A hundred percent. I love it. I have no real. problem admitting that I'm a squirrel. You know, uh, you and that? I go to, and I go to work, and I and I focus so much on one patient, and I focus so much on one call. That's a critical call because let's be real, man. Working as a street medic, not every single call is a critical call. Nah, man, right. routine. Uh, hey, man, we 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 do bug bites, ant bites. We do. I've been sick. For, <laughs> I've been sick for three years. My foot hurts. My have you foot? seen the boys? Yeah.
0: yeah, I love it. You know, you know, man, like twenty years, and I, and I retired, and people go, man, what you miss? Uh, um why why are you going back to the fire department after you retire and i go man routine yeah oh. yep i missed that routine call man i missed the bum i missed the the dude the uh actually bums a bad word we call them uh 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 temporarily homeless <laughs> and, and, and you know like listen man i'm the street citizen or urban camper whatever you want to call it you urban know camper
2: i love that terminology <laughs> you
0: know like Listen man, like I miss that that routine. <clears throat> the, the foot pain, the 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 stories that come with that dude. You know, this foot hurt me from the back self
2: diagnosis. Nineteen seventy six. <laughs> I hurt
0: this ankle. <laughs>
2: We're still broke. Well, here's the yeah, I, I, can, I can think of a call that,
1: that came yeah. out as routine as possible because for our department, we have something called like Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. And oh, I love yeah.
0: Bullshit It's basically and a good we, way to say
1: bullshit, not yeah. bullshit, real call. <laughs> and we had a Bravo response for a fall at 1 a.m. and we ended up getting there and it was a self inflicted GSW. Oh, my goodness. That the wife called in and I was one of our surgical crikes. Oh, wow. And we got called in as it. And so the rescue went out and I was on the engine that i was on the truck company that night and and we end up getting uh canceled because rescue's like oh man it's a bravo fall we'll take care of this and then we end up getting toned out as a bravo phone we get into the truck and dispatch comes across the and like yeah be advised rescue arrived on scene and this is an active uh, self-inflicted gsw and we're like Unreal. oh my gosh and so we get on scene and we end up having a surgical crack this guy but i guess getting back to the things of of, of who i am and how this started of of being a uh adolescent homeschooler and, and, and graduating high school and, and, and falling into this fire rescue field as a flight paramedic is I started lifeguarding. So oh, at yeah. the age of 16, I went to Rockledge, Florida, and I uh I had a tryout as an ocean rescue lifeguard. <laughs> and I tell you what, man, I had long, beautiful, curly long blonde hair. Oh man, I feathered. was feathered. And glorious. I, I tell you what, it's what I, I like to refer to it as. I, I was attractive. <laughs> I tell you what, something happened along like the time. Like a young girl. And, yeah, I yeah. loved it. I was a beautiful 16 year old. And
2: and I went through this, uh, oh,
1: I went through man. this lifeguard trial. And the first, life, we had two trials, January and March. And I was a surfer. So for me, everything that we do is upper body and back. So I was a terrible swimmer. Oh my gosh, I couldn't swim to save my life and I failed my first lifeguard trial. I failed it by like 30 seconds, I was devastated. And at the time, I had I was in between vehicles, and my mom owns a company, and she had let me borrow a bright yellow Ford Focus stick shift. Oh wow! So as a sixteen-year-old kid, I was driving a bright yellow Ford stick shift. <laughs> I learned how to drive in a Ford Fiesta. Uh, a stick no. shift. Oh man, this thing was like it was like Tweety Bird.
0: All I think it's over great being surrounded by millennials right now.
3: <laughs> oh
1: man! You know, I'm
2: I
0: had so a I had a Toyota Cressida. You don't even know what that is, do you? I,
2: <laughs> or, know, a little rabbit, that's a little Volkswagen a, rabbit. That's a big <laughs> word, Carlos. Yeah, you
0: know, like Toyota Cressida, that's my first car. And Toyota Cressida is the first car that had the seatbelt that was, like, automatic. You were, like, oh, going yeah. open the we, door, and the we, thing there, that thing was awesome. <laughs> and let me tell you, there's some pussy got got
1: in that car. <laughs> I tell you what. Yeah. And so I drove a bright yellow Ford Focus, and I filled my first life car trial. I went home. I started swimming twice a day in a pool. So I went back for my second tryout in March. Passed the lifeguard tryout, became an ocean rescue lifeguard at the ripe age of 16. Man, I was it. I <laughs> you was, knew everything. I was the bee's knees, man. There's oh, yeah. nothing you could tell me. I was a lifeguard. I was a lifesaver. I do. I was a 16 year old first responder. Get, get off my level. Know, I knew it all. So <laughs> I tell you what, and, and and so I worked through the years of ocean rescue. One of my claim to fame rescues, and as I got older. Uh, like at the age of 19, I became an ocean rescue lieutenant. So I became full time as a lifeguard. And you become a full time lifeguard, you become a lieutenant. And then shortly a few years after that, I became an ocean rescue captain. I was actually. You're in, David Hasselhoff at this time. Yeah, town. man. I was bottom. Yeah, Baywatch. I was modern head. Yeah, I was. I was, some, I was, self, oh, man. I was a self proclaimed David Hasselhoff. Oh, the Hoff. I can't take credit mm-hmm. for that. And uh, I became an ocean rescue captain of Cocoa Beach. Cocoa Beach, Florida. If any of you guys are familiar with that, oh yeah, I was responsible from the north end of Cocoa Beach all the way towards. That. You're
0: pulling astronauts out the beach. Yeah,
1: the yeah. The, <laughs> the north end of Satellite Beach. Oh man, and uh,
0: good stripper. I was
1: responsible for for you know thirty to forty lifeguards on a regular basis, and it, it was great, man. One of my claim to fame rescues. I'll never forget it. Um, it was me and this guy, and I'll, I'll name drop. His name was Johnny McCarthy. He currently works for a fire department within Central Florida, and he's a great guy. And we were working together, and we were working at a beach that was notorious for Shore Pound. And for those of you who don't know, Shore Pound is where you have a high, high wave that crashes right on the beach. It creates a real yeah. bad rib tide, creates real bad rib currents. And we had a small child that had gotten sucked out by the Shore Pound. I remember... We were sitting there, and we both looked at this kid at the same time, and I had taken off my shirt before Johnny, and he's like, oh, you want to take this rescue? I'm like, yeah, man, I got it. So I took off down the beach, and I'm Hold on,
0: Mitch Buchanan
1: at yeah, this Yeah, Mitch Buchanan, <laughs> man. I'm running down the beach. I got my hard can in oh, tow. Oh, shit. And I run into the water, and I remember I go underneath this one wave, and I come up the other wave, and I see a child. He would had been five or six years old. And I go underneath the next wave, and as I go up over this wave – I see the kid go beneath the water, and I remember I grabbed him by the top of his hair, pulled him out with one hand, top of his hair, grabbed him behind me, and another wave was getting ready to break, and I held him with both arms. We went both under the wave. I was able to get my flotation device, put the child on the can, go up behind him. We were both holding on to the can. He was up out of the water. He was crying. We were able to slowly start working our way back in the shore, and I remember got the kid back there talked to his parents he was fine we gave him a little bit of oxygen and we started walking back towards the tower and we had you know little trucks on the side and i remember as we were walking back it was like a labor day weekend or it might have been memorial day and i know memorial day and labor day are like three months apart but <laughs> like i said i've had a long life and uh i remember people were clapping and it was just one of those feelings where you're walking really? on the God beach. am hero. You got your yeah. shirt off. People are clapping. You just pulled this kid out of the shore panel. like, this is what it's all about. And that's the only rescue I can really remember. And we had another shark attack later on, right before I left Ocean Rescue to move over to the fire department. And uh, this kid's name was Lucas. And I don't want to say his last name just to help cover you know, who he was. But he was a baseball player. And he came down to Central Florida for a tournament. And he ended up getting attacked by a shark and we were able to pull this kid out of the water and his whole leg was completely mangled and they had to do like a five or six centimeter nerve graft. And they had a ton of reconstructive on his leg and they thought he was gonna lose a leg. And we actually ended up being able to go visit and I remained friends with his parents and we were able to go visit him at Arnold Palmer based out of central Florida. And he actually got flown to Arnold Palmer from a, a beach park within Cocoa Beach that we were working at. And I remember he signed us a baseball and that was that was back in I think 2000, 2014 or 2015. And I still have that baseball that sits, sits with me in my locker and it has his name signed and it has my name signed on it. And it you know tells us thank you about everything that we did that day, but I'll never forget it, man. We didn't do much. I can't take credit for everything that we did. But I remember we pulled him out of the water. I remember uh, I, you know me being a, a lifeguard. I took pictures of his leg. So we put him out of the water, I took pictures, and a mom was losing her mind. She's like, why are you photographing my child? And so we took photos real quick of his leg, and then we wrapped it in trauma dressings and, and pressure bandages, and we were able to pass it off to the flight team. But instead of them having to reveal and take off the pressure bandages and the trauma dressing, pic- I was able to show a photo. Oh my God,
0: that's good forward so thinking that, yeah.
1: It was able to keep that child and keep all the interventions that we had provided that child to keep it intact instead of revealing that and causing that act of bleeding again, and we were able to keep that secured and show the photos. I actually ended up texting a flight medic those pictures so he could show the surgeon because they didn't want to remove the dressings that we had applied to that child's leg.
3: That's pretty and so cool for
1: me, right that there. had just kind of set place everything that I wanted to do for the future. And I remember transitioning from the ocean rescue side as a captain, as a firefighter EMT, to move into a firefighter paramedic position. And I always want to continue that level of care. And I always wanted to be the guy that people counted on when I arrived on scene to say, hey, man, everything's okay. Dakota has just arrived. And like as we, you know, come back to the beginning of this podcast and we talk about being the guy because trauma and fire, it always inevitably happens to people. But we always want to be the guys on scene. Who are able to take care of those patients, and yes. that's kind of how I base my entire career off of it. Is I don't want to see trauma, I don't want to see anybody lose their life or limb or lose a child or a mother or a brother. But I want to be that guy there because I know they have the best best chance at life if I'm if I'm there on that call. So for oh, me, oh yeah, you know who I am is you know I'm, you know Dakota. You you ever follow up with Lucas like see what he's up to today? All the time actually. Yeah, yeah. What's he up was, to today? Uh, he is a collegiate baseball player. Man, amazing. So I found out today. So when we were rescuing him, he was, I think at the time he was 11 years old or 12 years old. He was playing a, um, what do they call the league for soccer? He was a, uh, um, like the traveling, traveling baseball teams, mm-hmm. like a Meg U league kind mm-hmm. of deal and um so he was traveling and they told him hey man you'll be lucky to walk again and we actually got invited by the parents and he was a pitcher we got invited by the parents for him to throw his first pitch after his uh, shark attack unreal man and so now this day and age he's actually uh, has graduated high school and he is a collegiate baseball player and he still has the scars from that shark attack, and it, it's pretty cool to see. And I can't take full credit for it because man, those yeah, surgeons at Arnold Palmer, yeah, man, credit's were, credit, bro. we fantastic, and, and they truly made a difference. In that you know, but, but it's cool to be, you know, at that site like, because I'll never forget. part of the process. And this is silly to say, but I'll never forget. And he was a young kid, and and we put him in the vehicle, and we had these side by sides, and and it was me and this guy Danny Maloney. I know and, Danny Maloney. Yeah, and Danny, yeah. and Danny was driving. And uh, we put this guy in the side and we had put it, uh, you know, pressure dressings around his bandages and tourniquet. And he looked right at us. He was a young kid. And, you know, we were young as well, you know. Yeah. And he well, looks at us. He's like, oh, man, I don't want to die. Please don't let me die. And we're like, oh, you'll be yeah, all right, buddy. you gonna and we go be out okay, man. They had established a landing zone. And we had to give him pass down. And it's just cool to be out there and go to see him. And like I said, man, I always carry that baseball in my locker because that, for me, that was that turning point where I said, hey, this is, you make a difference now. This is where you actually make a difference. The things you do pre-hospitally make a difference for definitive health care within that child. you know. And so you know, being a lifeguard and, and, and being homeschooled to being a lifeguard to being a full-time lifeguard to being a firefighter, I had no idea this is what I was going to end up doing. I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to be a fireman because I thought the gear was cool. I thought the <laughs> were cool. I thought oh, I was fine. Man. You know, I wanted to run red lights. That was it. <laughs> that was it. I wanted to legally run red lights and respond to calls, and hey, who knew what the fire service entails. Great, job
0: in the world, man. Yeah, I,
1: I don't want to be one of those guys that said, "Oh, I wanted to help people." I didn't want to help people. I wanted to be a fireman. I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to honk an air horn and, <laughs> and push cars out of the way, and then it really started to, you know, take effect when, you know, when you become a paramedic and you realize, wow, man, these people are counting on me to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And then attending this class with Carlos and. And everything that I've accomplished up to this point, everything that I'm doing now and, and being an educator, I had no idea this was my future. I had no idea I was going to end up teaching, you know, paramedic. I had no idea I was going to end up going and teaching these kids something. And, you know, before this podcast, I was explaining to Carlos, you know, going into the end of, you know, certain colleges that I work as an adjunct instructor for. And I teach pre-hospital trauma life support. And we talk about Anaerobic and aerobic metabolism, and these kids don't truly have a full concept of what it is. And I can give a ten-minute lecture on what it is, and you know, I'll tell you guys some of my analogies that I use. But especially in trauma, we talk about anaerobic and aerobic metabolism. That's the difference between life and death. You have, you know, an anaerobic metabolism or an aerobic metabolism. It causes acidosis. Well, what does acidosis lead to? Acidosis leads to respiratory failure. You know, what do your trauma patients commonly experience? They commonly experience respiratory alkalosis. Respiratory alkalosis leads to a metabolic acidosis, and you've oh, got to perfuse that metabolic problem. And so for me as an instructor, and we talk about this Krebs cycle, and we talk about coronary reperfusion, especially when it comes into MIs, and I'm able to explain that and relate it to these people. because, For me as a student, it was never what your instructor knew. Because you could have the smartest, most intelligent instructors. And this is where I give Carlos a lot of credit. And I'm not trying to put him on a pedestal. But it's not what you know. It's what you're able to relate. You can be the smartest person in the world. But if you can't relate information to people who don't understand it, you're not a good educator. 100%. And I've had that opportunity. And I've been blessed with that ability to break it down to people and educate them. when we talk about coronary perfusion when it comes to your coronary arteries. And I was talking about this with Carlos, and you know, for me, I take, you know, my left hand, and this is something I learned from somebody else, so I can't take credit, but if you hold your left hand and you hold it out in front of somebody, and you look at your pinky hand, and you just go below your pinky hand, and you make a black dot, right? So as I hold it out towards you, Ryan, and you see my palm, and if I put a black dot below my pinky hand, and I mark that as my SA node, and now I collapse a fist, and I turn it back before myself, and my elbow's gonna stick out a little bit, and I crunch my elbow towards my body, I bring it medial towards my chest, and it creates a heart, right? And now if I put my pinky hand up, it's gonna be towards the center of my chest, and we talk about the SA node, and we talk about our elevation in 2-3 AVF, and we talk about right coronary perfusion, and we talk about inferior wall-MIs, well, what does my inferior wall MI occlude? It occludes my right coronary artery. Coronary, yeah. And when my right coronary artery becomes occluded, it affects my SA node. And when it affects my SA node, it causes bradycardia. So when we look at these inferior wall MIs, and I see my two leads with elevation, two contiguous leads of elevation, and I have right coronary occlusion. Well, what am I? I'm looking at an inferior wall MI. Yeah, you are. And then as I take my thumb and I take my pointer finger and I show it back out to the kids and we talk about left circumference, and we talk about a left interior descending and I hold it back towards my chest. I show these guys, well, if I have an occlusion in leads three and four and I put it back towards my chest, I have my left circumference as it pulls off towards the side of my chest and my left anterior descending going up. But when I close my fist, that left interior descending goes down and my elevation of lead three and four, it causes that occlusion of an anterior wall MI and I have that left interior descending. And these guys, And we talk about the left circumferential and the right coronary, And we talk about different leads and different elevation, and we understand the coronary perfusion just by a simple mnemonic and understanding and writing on our hands, and these guys are at the end of paramedic school, and they're understanding it, and they're laughing, and they're enjoying this education, that's what means the world to me. Education is not meant to be stressful. Yeah, being a paramedic is stressful, and the job that we do is difficult, and we are the difference at times between life and death. But that shouldn't be difficult. It should be something that we love and enjoy. And the reason we're in this field is to make a difference. And you know, I talk about this mnemonic, and I was trying to explain it before Carlos, before he cut me off, and he and he said, "Hey, man, I don't want to understand this steam mnemonic." And I <laughs> and I look at people, and I said, "You know, if we're going through, if you, I
0: said, I want to, I want to be, uh, I want to record it." and then be yeah, uh,
1: here for the first time, you he know? didn't. He didn't yeah. cut me off, but he wanted to be raw in yeah. his emotions to Absolutely. what he's gonna hear. But we talk about the STEAM mnemonic, and once again, I, can't, I cannot take credit for this, but we talk about the STEAM mnemonic, and I ask people when I teach ACLS, if you knew what was gonna cause cardiac arrest in your patient, what treatment modalities would you change? Absolutely. And I, be want, great. and I want my students to think so hard that steam comes out of their ears. Got it. And my mnemonic esteem is we look at S and we look at seizures, right? So you look at seizures. And, and let me look back on this because I had written it down because – yeah, no, you know, I love it. Carlos made me take a couple shots of Buffalo Trace, and it, uh, you know, know. Buffalo Trace is delicious.
0: You know, I but, suggest you go get yourself. you some. Know,
1: and and, and, the, and we look back at this. We've also had a couple award winning beers. Yep. Past Blue Ribbon. And we look at seizures and we look at sugar. And so when you look at hyper or hypoglycemia, what are you, you're looking at an altered mental status. You're looking at diabetic ketoacidosis and you're looking at comas. And when you're looking at seizures, you're looking at a postictal state and which can often replicate somebody that's impending of cardiac arrest, especially with your status epilepticus patients. Because you need to secure that airway because they become so hypoxic from their reoccurrent seizures. And especially with your DI, DKA patients, they become so acidotic that it's critically abnormal and then they become a pseudo-hyperkalemia to where they're going to show that hyperkalemia state and you need to correct that potassium. And then as you go down through the steam, you start looking at temperature and toxins. So you look at these opiate overdoses and this opiate epidemic that we're experiencing in Florida and you're looking at a temperature especially when it comes down to malignant hypothermia we can't tell that pre-hospitally until we push the wrong medication but it's something for us that we need to realize to pass on to definitive care because they have the antidote. you know if a pre-hospital care carries dantrolene they must have a lot of money but it's super rare to find dantrolene. but if I can pass that off to those people, then they can correct that pre-hospitally. And as we go down through this sugar and seizure, this temperature and toxins, and we can look at these TC, TCA, you know, tricyclic antidepressant overdoses, and we come through the E, we look at environmental emergencies, and we look like electrical therapy or electrical shock that they've experienced if somebody has experienced an electrical shock or they have an electrical light imbalance for that e what's the most common electrolyte imbalance that is going to cause death ryan and i'm going to ask you this question when we think about electrolyte imbalances that causes death what are we most commonly thinking of
0: you're talking about post electrocution right
1: We're not talking about Mm post-electrocution at this point, we're just talking about common electrolyte imbalances. What's gonna cause death? Or what can we see on an EKG or symptomatically that's gonna cause the most issue to us? Mm. I guess, uh, sodium? We're looking at potassium. potassium, right, yeah, lethal injection, right? Lethal injection. So when we have a potassium overdose, we're looking at wide complex QRS and we're looking at bradycardia. So when we think about this electrolyte imbalance, the most common electrolyte imbalance that we're going to experience, especially with marathon runners, is a potassium insufficiency or overdose, especially for inner facility cares. And then we look like electrical therapy or shock. And if you have somebody who's been shocked, man, we, we need to look at burn therapy, especially for an electrical shock. If they haven't been burned, but they have an electrical shock, We got to figure out the AC to DC current. We got to start considering our our urine output. We got to alkalize certain things. We got to start managing them in an aggressive manner to prevent certain outcomes. And as we go through this A, we start looking at allergies. And we start looking at anaphylaxis because so many times people experience anaphylaxis but they don't know that they're in the middle of it. And so many people are afraid to give that one in 1,000 epi. But you get on scene and you see the widespread uticaria. You see the loss of incontinence. You see the loss of bowels, You see that hypotension in in the tachycardia. Give give the epi. Let's fix that. People just don't break out into uticaria for no reason. And so when I talk about the steam mnemonic and we go into that anaphylaxis and then we look into the the M of the steam method and we look at alcohol overdoses and as we get into that M we look at the medication right so as I look back into that medication we talk about that TCA overdose we talk about that aspirin overdose we talk about people being on potassium drips from rural ERs that we need to fix or we talk about people being on you know the methylene glycol drips or you know somebody that's trying to fix the acidosis that's something that comes into our mud piles or our gold mark acronyms that we need to understand the antidotes. And so we look into the E, that electrolytes, electrical therapy, and the M with the medications. And we need to understand especially how those lithium medications and the antidepressant medications take effect on our patients. Because if you treat a TCA overdose as a symptomatic bradycardia, You're going to detrimentally affect your patients. That's not. And I always ask these people, I say, when do you deter from your ACLS algorithm or what patient do you differentiate from your ACLS algorithm to protect them? (laughs) And you look at these, why? because if you treat a VTAC patient as a symptomatic bradycardia patient, like a TCA overdose, you're going to kill them absolutely and then we get into these medications and these mommies and 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 the other m is the mommy if you have a patient that is pregnant and you don't know it that's going to be detrimental to that patient i love that mommies and so you look at this steam mnemonic and that and i'll repeat it the s is that sugar and seizure so many times people say oh you know we have an acute altered mental status and so many people man i hear it all the time and People say, oh, it's not a big deal, man. He has a TBI. He's having a pseudo-seizure. And and I remember me being a new paramedic and you would write off these pseudo-seizures. That's something that you can't write off. Just because somebody has a traumatic brain injury doesn't mean you need to write off those pseudo-seizures. Just because somebody's shaking uncontrollably and can slowly relate to you what's going on doesn't mean they're not having a oh. brain injury. Yeah, absolutely. Or synapse injury. You need to correct that. You need to control that down. And we talk about how we're said is a gamma receptor inhibitor. Oh, and you inhibitor. talk about the gamma amino biotake, you know, receptors. So the gamma receptors is the gamma amino amino receptors. And it helps secure that SNAPS energy. And it helps slow everything down. And yet, I'm not a big advocate of using Versed for trauma patients when it comes to induction of RSI or the rapid sequence induction. But for seizure patients, they're gonna get out of it anyways because if they're shaking uncontrollably, we need to handle that. And especially with that seizure patient or the sugar patient, and you look at your DKA patients, they're extremely acidotic, And what takes days to manifest, and I won't take credit for this because this is something I learned from Carlos, But for all you guys listening, the DKA patients or the HHNK patients, what takes days to manifest is going to take days to fix. fix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we can start that level of care, but do not try and correct it immediately. And if you have a DKA patient with your Q-small respirations breathing 40 times a minute and you intubate them because they're not able to control that airway, do not ventilate them at 12 times a minute. Match, you need to you need to match that. Yeah, absolutely. Because oh. that's the only thing keeping them from going into such a critical metabolic state. And as we move into that E or the T with the temperature and the toxins, we talk about opiates, especially here in the state of Florida. We have such a large opiate epidemic. And you know, you know, I I applaud our, our, our government to try and remove that. But you can't take somebody who's been dependent on an opiate for so long and it's not their fault but they said, you know what, we're going to give you Percocets and this is going to help with your back pain or we're going to give you on a fentanyl pump and then all of a sudden they're going to say, you know what, you've stopped. You cannot fix somebody who's opiate dependent by stop giving them the opiates. You cause extreme withdrawals which leads to seizures. And then if I rush on scene, I have somebody who's unresponsive and I give them that Narcan and I shove two to four milligrams of Narcan up their nose or I atomize it and they wake up and they have aspiration pneumonia. What have I just caused? Mm -hmm. I've caused a core morbidity to their opiate overdose. That's not my job. So what's the most common factor when it comes to an opiate overdose, Ryan? Most common factor? Why do we give Narcan? And I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, yeah, for respiratory depression. Narcan is utilized for respiratory depression. I can fix respiratory depression by advanced airway management. Certainly. And I'm not saying you need to RSI your overdoses, but I'm saying you need to fix the issue at hand. Absolutely, yeah. The best, because what do we do for benzodiazepine overdoses? We innovate. Yeah. because if you inappropriately give romazicon or flumazenil, right? What happens when they what's what's a relative issue or what's an adverse seize. reaction is they a seizure. seizure. Yeah, a seizure. And then when we go to give a seizure medication, it's already been blocked. Yeah. So you innovate your benzodiazepine. So why don't we innovate our opiate overdoses? Because I've Personally, and I can, you know, I've yeah, worked I with did, a lot of guys. Yeah. I've intubated my overdoses. We bring them to the yard, they excavate them, they slam Narcan. The person aspirates and starts actively vomiting. They can't clear their airway. They go right back into an RSI protocol. Yeah. When yeah. I've already established that pre-hospitally, and I'm not paralyzing my overdoses, all I'm doing is they've already allowed me the ability to bypass that tube through their vocal cords and their gag reflex. And that's what they need, they're already hypoxic. And so when it comes to this toxins, and then, you know, with my STEAM mnemonic and we look at the temperature, we look at malignant hypothermia, if I have somebody, you know, you know I, I try not to dig too much into Carlos's personal life, but his son had an issue with malignant hypothermia. Yeah, it, yeah. and, at a, and at a young age, he was given succinylcholine mm-hmm. and went into malignant hypothermia after Carlos told th- the responding flight medics to not give him that drug, and he had to receive dantrolene. Well, a lot of these rural yards may not have dantrolene because it's such an expensive medication, just like rogam. <clears throat> but if we can fix that pre-hospital, if we know about that pre-hospitally, we can give different medications as long as they're not experiencing lockjaw or trismus. If I have a patient that has a gag reflex. Instead of giving a paralytic, I can give a disassociative like ketamine to bypass that. And that ketamine is also a bronchial dilator, so I'm not suppressing any sort of respiratory depression. And as I go through this with my A and my anaphylaxis, and I look at my allergies and I look at different sort of toxins, you know, and I look at alcohol overdoses. What can we fix that with? So if I have anaphylaxis, I can fix that with my one in one thousand epi yeah yeah, I like it and if it doesn't fix with that I need early innovation but it's all about you know people always ask me what makes a good paramedic a good paramedic is all about your patient assessment and you don't learn any different kind of patient assessments between EMT school and paramedic school Right. If you don't know why you're asking these questions and you don't know the appropriate questions to ask and these pertinent negatives, you'll never find out what's wrong with your patient.
0: You know, I, I think you learn confidence too. Like, you know, like I think that that a good paramedics a confident one. Yeah. yeah. Open-mindedness, good imagination. But where
1: do you receive that confidence? Experience. Experience. You receive that confidence from experience and thorough education. Man, I can't tell you how many times I have paramedic students come to ride with me and they'll say, oh, you know, a paramedic I wrote the other day said, you know, we don't have to really dig No, man, we're paramedic. We fix these things. And and I think I talked about this earlier in that, that, that load and go and the stay and play, the forced dichotomy. Man, don't be afraid to stay because, for instance, I'll give you an example because I know it's sometimes hard to relate this stuff that we talk about with the forced dichotomy and that load and go. But, for instance, if I have a patient with a... Um, with an aortic dissection. Okay. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about our DeBakeys. We have DeBakey 1, DeBakey 2, DeBakey 3. And we talk about. I don't think I poured you one there. You want one? I'm, I'm good for now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it is. And we talk <laughs> you know, about. Me and Ryan are going to do a Buffalo way while you're talking. And we talk about these. A buffalo uh, what? Trace. A buffalo Trace. Buffalo right. Trace. And we talk about. Salud. These. Uh, and we talk about these aortic dissections, and we talk about what, what do they need with an aortic dissection? What do they need? What do they need? What do they need with an aortic dissection? I, care. I always well, they say need, they need, need, need pain surgeon. management. They need to help lower the blood pressure to keep yeah. from having that pressure uh, bust pipes.
2: The, the, you know some sort of like a,
1: the bus pipes. even. You know, maybe with that, that since we're giving pressure. the pain management, but we need a surgeon. Yeah, you need oh, a certainly. Yeah. definitive care, absolutely definitive care. Yeah. But let's say I arrive okay. on scene and I have a patient with a tension pneumo. Okay. So we're all familiar with the tension pneumo. Yeah. We're absolutely. all familiar with I, I you know, I can't really think of the mnemonic right now for our tension pneumo, but we're looking at, you know, the tracheal deviation, we're looking at, you know, the absent lung sounds and and the tracheal deviation is going to be a late sign right. of that yeah. tension pneumo. Yeah.
0: And you know, not to cut you off, Dakota. You know, no, I like, please do. I, I always like to teach that, that. You know, if you're teaching a tension pneumo, you need to know that if you mention tracheal deviation, it's not so much as something that you're going to be able to see. It's more something you're going to be able to feel. You know what I mean? Like the trachea will still appear to be midline. The, the, the neck will still appear to be midline. And if you're not putting your hands on the patient, you're not going to feel that the trachea is deviated. Absolutely. So, so, you know, that's if you if you say tracheal deviation, remember that's a palpation skill. That's a actual touching the
1: patient skill, not so much a visualization. So, it is a super late sign. But when we talk about this loading going to stay in play, and we talk about this tension pneumo, they don't need it. I mean, eventually they need to receive a surgeon, and they need to get a chest tube to fix that lung problem. But once you insert a chest tube, it fixes that tension pneumo. But so, so many people. You know, they see those low saturations. They see the shortness of breath. They see the lung sounds. They don't need intubation. No. And so many times people say, you know, he has a tension pneumo. let intubate. Well, you got to realize naturally our bodies, we ventilate through negative pressure, right? Yeah. And so when we do the positive pressure, we enhance that tension pneumo. So okay. when I arrive on scene, I have Ten a patient volt. who's a tension pneumo due to a traumatic injury. And I'm able to needle decompress or provide a finger thoracostomy, which a finger thoracostomy is going to be your go-to because that's the most beneficial for your patient because that helps them because, you know, with a, a needle, you know, a needle decompression, you're going to have to continuously repeat that incident, you know, that intervention. But with the thoracotomy, I can prevent that and I'm not going to create a tension pneumo I'm not going to create a collapsed lung. I'm relieving that pressure and then I can put a a bandage on that, you know, where I where I've conducted that incision. And, but that's an intervention that I can provide pre-hospitally that is going to save my patient. Yeah. Because for attention pneumo, it's not the hypoxia that leads to arrest. It shock. is the pressure upon the vena cava that impedes the blood flow that leads to the cardiac arrest. Obstructive shock exactly the obstructive shock for for our fbc
0: people listening what what hypoxia would that be you got an obstructive shock what hypoxia would that be be uh would it lead to Maybe, right
2: yeah i i've got the word it's at the tip of my tongue um not hypemic uh so you know we uh, got four hy- hypoxias
0: right so you got uh, hypemic you got hypemic hypoxia histotoxic histo- you got um hypoxic hypoxia and, you, and then you have hypoxia. stagnant hypoxia. It would be stagnant. Stagnant hypoxia, right? It would
1: be sure stagnant, sure. hypoxia. stagnant hypoxia. Because that pressure yeah, it starts to suppress it. the vena cava, right, yeah. and you're impeding your blood flow, and, and it comes back down into hemodynamics. So yeah. when we talk about this, and you talk about this load of going to go and the stay in play, man, if you can, that, that clinical decision-making of a meaningful intervention, fix that pre-hospitally if you can because that's going to save your patient. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, early identification is the key here, and that's and what comes down to. We talk about your patient so, assessment, and we talk about identifying stuff.
0: So I want you to, and I know we we'll probably need to take a break here, but but let me, real quick, I want you to put yourself in that situation when you got a tension pneumo patient, in right in front of you, and you're about to, you're about to, you, you recognize it. You just stepped into the scene, cameras are rolling. Who's playing you in the
1: movie? Who's playing me in the movie? Yeah, who's playing you in the movie? Oh, man, I'm a George Clooney fan.
2: Oh, God damn. I had it too. I, I, was, I had it too. I was going to say Matt Damon. Oh, but, man. But hey, but I I tell you George what, Clooney is good. Son, have you ever read. So, I'm a George, George Clooney, Clooney fan, Matt man. Damon, I'm Brad Pitt, Ocean. all those guys. So uh, I'm an Ocean 13. Jer- Jerry Vain, Jerry, Val- Val- Jerry wrote a book I'm called a "When I Stop Talking, You Know I'm Dead." Like Jerry Vintrow, yeah, yeah. like created Matt Damon, <laughs> Brad Pitt, like that oh does, man, like, yeah. all those Ocean 11s yeah. guys, yeah, man. man. But like the, the language, that, the language behind
0: it. Yeah, like, like, a lot of people don't know that. To read that, to read his stuff is to know like a lot of the different. Stuff they talk about, in Ocean Eleven, this movie, right? So the, you know, you know yeah, Jerry
2: Valintrob, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah, you know like, the the star on the Hollywood strip, yeah. like like they like Jerry Valintrob, like uh, Brad Pitt, like all those guys, Matt Damon, yeah, and all those Ocean Elevens guys. They said we're not fucking putting our name on the street. Do you put Jerry, his name? And not until Jerry's name? His, his name, name is on, the on there, bro. Yeah, I, cause he, cause he like he
0: named all that shit. Like the right. D, the D yes. the D Martin maneuver.
3: Yeah, this
2: well, shit, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, man, I'm with you. All right, cool, I'm a, cool. I'm a well-read man myself. That's well, hey, that's what all, I love about Carla He talks shit all the time. I never seen the movies, but bro, oh, I've read hundreds man, of books. Well, I've read a lot of books. Too. Man, I'm a book reader too. I know, I know. That's why I love. It's like
1: it's like the Winston Churchill quote. That I'm gonna tell you to go to hell so tactfully, you're gonna look forward to the trip. Oh man! I am gonna decompress you so tactfully; your lungs are gonna want to experience you it. You don't look good doing it too, man. Yeah. you Clooney, know what I mean? Bro, so it, when you come through it, you're gonna do it so tactfully, and so it, we come back to this whole thing of the hardest part of doing any of this stuff is making the decision to making do it. Making the decision the to do it to begin time with. I heard a collapsed lung; I'll never forget it. We were on the side of the highway of a female who got ejected. A big female, man. I remember we had to grab her breast and pull it down in order to get the in order to get the needle go through to obtain the, the access to the plural space. Yeah. And I remember I listened to sounds, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't hear it. And I handed the stethoscope to this guy, Chris Baker, and I said, oh, Chris, can you concur that you can't hear it? And he goes, I got I nothing. I concur. I concur. <laughs> I remember. Oh man. I went down because he grabbed the needle and he's like, and I went down because, you know, I just had a little bit more experience of teaching it and we stay up to date with stuff. And you, you find your angle of Louie, you know, there's so many different ways to find it. But, yeah. you know, I found my angle of Louie. I went over, found my bark. Oh, second and third, dude. I pulled it down. He decompressed. We had the reperfusion. We were able to get that. She was already having some respiratory compromise. So we ended up putting in a tube, got her into the trauma bay. She was... uh Got another decompression. She was able to get a test tube inserted. And we were able to identify that landmark. And, man, once you create a rapport with these trauma surgeons, and it's not even necessarily a report. When I give a report, I justify why I'm saying the stuff I'm saying. You leave no questions day. to be asked. I leave yeah. no question. And when I go in and we have a cardiac arrest patient or I'm giving my pass down, I am so, I take a deep breath and I say, hey, is everybody ready to hear? And they look back and, okay, so here's what we got.
0: Yeah, and horrible.
1: you have to realize this is what I saw. This is what I did. And these are the reactions I got when the interventions I
2: provided with my patient. I think that's a beautiful thing about you. Something I recognize in you and I appreciate and I think it's a beautiful thing is when you get done talking – I don't have to ask you, like
1: absolutely. I no, told you so, like, you lived well, it. Well, it's like, I felt, it's like, I was it's there. like
2: hey, you, you, whatever it is you're saying, whatever it is you're delivering, um, your point, like, and i throw told this to Carlos, like, bro, your, 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 your intent spills out of your delivery, man. Yeah, like, man. People don't have to ask you, like, what are you about, man? Like, I don't have to. I ask lived you the journey that. with you, like, man. I, I, I don't have to ask you, like, who are you, like, bro, you, you, you. Emphasize who you are without emphasizing. Like it's it's obvious who you are, man. Like you 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 care about people. You like when when you're done doing what you're doing, it's obvious for me to look at you and be like, the only reason he did that is because he cares about everybody
1: around him. He wasn't worried about. And himself. you know, finish it with it. this, and like, I'll let Carlos speak real quick, and I'll finish with this, and we'll move into our medical scenario. But go ahead, Carlos. You know, like I would have to say this. Like
0: let's let's not worry about the scenario right now. But let, let's let's. uh I think, man, like that's that's what makes you so great. And what bringing this thing in. you know, putting this this uh, stuff with the with the company together, like the air medical class and you guys kind of come through, you come through at a pivotal time where we're expanding what we do from just the air medical uh getting people prepped for their boards and teaching we're people. Show, hey, we're
2: showing him we're more than just millennials, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, no, no, listen, man. Like I appreciate y'all millennial stuff. I mean, y'all do some stupid shit too. But the, <laughs> the you know, you come in a pivotal time, but we're we're expanding what we do, this, you know, helicopter, search and rescue stuff. We're out here rescue swimming, we're out here doing all this stuff. And you know, um y- y- I I think this is the talent that I think I bring into the company is that I know how to surround myself with talent, you know, like I surround myself with talent and, and the more talent that we bring in, you know, the, the better it is. And, you know, you're bringing Dakota into this whole thing. Like, you know, there's a lot you bring into the table that I think that you don't realize that it makes
1: us better. Okay. That's a uh, group. Well, at the same time, man, and it goes back to thinking about us, none of us, you know we're all in this alpha dominant profession but for me i and i have a hard time with this and, and i'll be completely honest on this podcast because i think this is what people like to hear but you know we're, we're all very arrogant and we're all yeah you know, we think we're so the we think we're the best of the best but we're, not. And, but we're not and for me you know you know failing some of these tests and, and, and surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me has made me a better person has made me more humble and that's what attracts people as an educator and being an influence in other paramedics' lives? I Absolutely. want to be the humble guy. And I want, to, and when I go on calls, you know, and one of the guys I work with, you know, he's currently our EMT, but he's going through paramedic school. I don't ever shut him down with what stuff he says. No, man, you're I always going to learn from people. Man. You know, he talks about core, you know, pulmonary, you know, and this pulmonary hypertension, and and he, you know, is writing a currently, you know, a, a slideshow on it, and and he was explaining stuff to me, and, because this job is constantly evolving and I don't ever want to I don't ever want to know it all I don't ever no. want to be the guy that people constantly want to reference I want to learn with you yeah that's I, and this is, is all about this job man I I don't know and, and I don't want to be the guy either that listens to a podcast or or Google something and goes in and gives a lecture on it and tells you you know how smart I am I oh, man absolutely. I I'm here to learn and I think, and everything I say is not appropriate and, and it's constantly, you know, it may be different. And, you know, if anybody listens to this podcast, it, I'll give you my email. My email is emarmedic. You know, I own my own company. I go lot of contractor. It's emarmedic at gmail.com. Please email me if I've said anything that you want clarification on or, or you know, contact Carlos at the Rescue Company One. I'm always willing to learn if you have better mnemonics or if you've heard mm. something you know, I don't take credit for anything I've said, like the STEAM mnemonic, you know, this hand yeah, method I've used really. about, you know, large and coronary reperfusion. I've learned this stuff from other people. But that's the great thing about EMS. It's constantly evolving. Yeah, you always, constantly always learn moving. things from other people. Always moving. I've taken that. I've kind of mastered my own thing. And I continue to educate the future. But you you can never know it all. Absolutely. It, is, yeah. it is a constant practice. You know, uh, interestingly enough,
0: when you, you know... Um, Mr. George Clooney god damn that's good man I, 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 I'm I, glad he said that I'm glad he said that you know like switching modes into into what you think well we're getting into right now you know what I mean we're, we're getting into this uh this uh helicopter search and rescue world so you know I think we bring in a big modality into that we bring in this high quality medicine into into a helicopter you know and we're, I think it's no secret out there. We're we're out seeking to be a um, a non-existing helicopter asset to the state of Florida, where we can bring the high quality quality
1: medicine to to the search and rescue world. What, and, and the thing about you, Carlos, and, you know, I hate to hijack this conversation. I'm talking. No, I right, it away. Um, it's about you, but this is the interview. You know, when I when I talk with Ryan, when we were going through some of the interview processes about doing the search and rescue stuff, and you know, we have search and rescue teams that. The, you know, they're USOR certified and they're, and they're structural collapse technicians and they're rope technicians and they're confined space technicians. And they go out there and they affect these rescues and they pull these people back and they, you know, transfer carriers, fan of rescue, and you know, coming off these Black Hawk helicopters and, and me being a contract rescue diver, I work in you know, a realm of, you know, coming back to me and kind of my retrospect I work as a rescue diver and I work for a lot of different corporations and I do a lot of contract work I've worked out with SpaceX I work with Mercury I've worked with uh, numerous different organizations with Superboat International and Race World Offshore and P1 Aquacross and P1 Powerboat as a rescue diver and and deploying all these helicopters and freefall deployments and doing stuff like that and you know we go out there and we affect these rescues And working with Carlos and seeing his statement mission, you have FPCs and you have air ambulances, and they go out there and they pick these people up, but they don't—they have a nursing background, they have a medical background, they don't have that urban search and rescue. And Carlos has invested, and that's the thing that takes it apart from Carlos. You know, I came in to take his class, and we had talked on the phone prior, and we had communicated, and I guess we formed a you know very close friendship off of just. Communication and talking and interacting with each other and kind of seeing what we're all about and he's invested. You
2: can't invest- hide you your character, bro. No, and like- we've
1: invested so much time in one another, and and now we're not only affecting this, and we've talked with the state of Florida, and we've talked with these different medical directors, and we've said, hey, you know, we're able to affect these rescues. We have all of our urban search and rescue classes. We're all USAR certified, and not only that, but now we've achieved our flight paramedic certification, and by no means. Am I a a top-tier flight paramedic sort of, you know, a practicing paramedic by no means? But we all have a different characteristic to where we bring each other up. And, you know, we don't need 10 flight paramedics, you know, to be in the back of a helicopter. If we have Carlos, we're fine. Or if we have Robbie or if we have Justin or, you know, we have Mike or or any one of these guys – But we're bringing definitive health care. And I mean this 100%. Oh, yeah. We are bringing definitive health care to our patients. Yep. We're going on these deployments in these third world countries. And we're bringing definitive health care to that person. So we can affect these critical traumatic amputations pre-hospitaly and start this blood flow administration. We can handle that citric acid poisoning due to the stabilizing agent within the blood products that we carry. We can handle these magnesium toxicities. We we know the background in it, man. And that's the thing I'm telling you is like, we're going to- We can handle it. We're going to lift, we're going
0: to search, we're going to swim our ass off to them. And then we're going to get there and then we're going to provide
2: ICU quality medicine. Absolutely, and that's something that nobody else can does. Do so, I want to interject here, and it's on topic slash off topic, but really quick, Dakota. Yes, sir. I, I like to think that I've dedicated a lot of my um, my free time to analyzing the, the human psyche and to what people do. But one thing that I I, I don't recognize often is. It's hard for me to find what I want to offer to a specific group or an entity. It's hard for me to find that and somebody else trying to offer the same thing. And you, bro, and and it comes from a level of, of compassion and like, bro, you, like I said, bro, you, you're such a fucking cool dude, man. Like I yeah. I, 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 listen, I listen. Oh no no this is great. I I would you, bro. I, listen, <laughs> I I I listen to you talk, bro, and I'm like, God. Like, like, oh, like no, the the man. world needs more people, more Dakotas, like, more Dakotas, bro. And and let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When I hear you talk, when I hear you speak, you make me feel the way I want people to feel when I speak.
1: Oh, and that, like, means, that means a lot, dude. That's that's a lot of pressure.
2: That's a more creepy, dude. Dude, God, you yeah. bring tears in my eyes, bro. Like I look at you across the table right now, Dakota, bro, and Carlos. Like you're bro, god damn, like I can't I can't explain. Nah he's the, an impressive the, dude. It, it, you're you're an impressive you're an impressive Fucking dude, man And I say this as I don't even know How to express this to you, Well, bro. here, let me
1: bring Some more tears to your eyes Because <laughs> this will really Explain who I uh, am as a person And why I'm doing The stuff that I'm doing Oh, man And I know you guys I've, have. I've been waiting to get here I know where you're going And I know you guys have, have always asked me Questions about this And I, and I don't bring it up and I, and I don't express it And I don't talk about it And this will probably Be one of the first times Ever discussed it on, on radio Listen yeah. to this, man I mean, you know Before
0: you get into that Dakota I gotta say, man That like You know it's interesting. You, you know how people get put before you just through divine intervention or whatever you, you, you want to call you it. you said that. I love it. You know, like, like, but there's well, people... Well, hold on, Carlos.
1: When you, mentioned divine, when you mentioned divine intervention... Explain that to the people who are listening.
0: Well, um, I believe that there's a greater source out there that creates the the, the the road that we walk in front of. I
1: think our common denominator. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let me explain to the viewers it's, what divine intervention means. It is a miracle of act of God that causes something good to happen or stops something bad from happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's an, it's an so, intervention of forces beyond our control. Exactly. Yeah. So I, and, and I'll bring this back to Carlos. So go
0: ahead. So, so I know about... I know about Dakota before Dakota knows about who I am. You know, like so, I know about this guy, and I'm thinking about you know, and and just through common people that, that they're on the job, and, and and you know, all of a sudden this guy calls, man, like perfect time, like you couldn't get any better time for a guy like this to come through class, to come through things. I go, man, this is that this is uh, is the way it's supposed to be. Now you know, I almost canceled the class he's in. And I don't cancel it because. Thanks, Obama. No, never mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is. is it, coronavirus. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. So
0: I almost cool. canceled the classes coming through, but I don't cancel it. And I go, we're going to figure out how to do this class because this is the right time to do this. And it's just, man, because about the story he's going to tell you here in a second, because this is the story I know. You know, this is the story I hear about this guy. This is the thing that I know. And, and I go, man. You know, sometimes you get to a call, you do what you can do, but the outcome isn't the outcome you want it to be. You yeah. know what I mean? Been there, and, been and, there. and it's like how you recover from that situation is what makes you the person you are. Yeah. It, 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 and it's, man, I, I, I'm just repeating what Phil Jackson would say. You know, and it's like, well, Phil, so this is where I'm at. Dakota, take it.
1: Well, you know. You know, let me back up. So for you guys who are listening, I, I work as a rescue diver. I've done a lot of stuff. I work for different uh, companies and corporations. And and we all started doing this uh, jet ski uh, safety stuff back in 2011, 2010. And we, uh, I got involved with it through… Uh, mark austin and when i was an ocean rescue captain he was awesome guy yeah mark austin let me go ahead and just stop right here uh (laughs) you can't
0: you can't say too much we want to bring him on the show so people know who he is
1: he's currently (laughs) in new zealand but i tell you what when when you guys have the honor he's the kevin bacon of ems yeah when you guys have the honor of listening to this guy speak he is just fantastic
0: justin's calling i should probably put him on
2: speakerphone let's do it do it let's pause it and talk to justin real quick we're 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 recording. recording we're recording
0: Currently, currently recording right now, and I got you on speakerphone. What you want to say? Oh, hey, cool. hey, gorgeous. why are you? Why are you bothering me? Why are you uh, calling are you this calling? phone? I
1: want you to look at that picture I sent you, and I want you to tell me if that is deep enough to where if you see if you can see the like subcutaneous
0: fat. I think you're going to be. I think it's. I mean, I think it's deep, but I think you're going to live. That's not for me. Yeah, you don't need to, if if it's not bleeding anymore, you don't need to uh,
2: glue. Hold on, Carlos, let me see this picture. Well, so so Dakota and I. call uh,
0: What do you call it? Let's get filled in here, Dakota. Still, Dakota. It's still bleeding. Well, let's see what we're looking if at. If it's still bleeding, it needs a stitch, because where it's on the hand, glue is not going to
2: hold it. Yeah, so I just got told her to go over there. I was yeah, like, well, let me make a quick phone call, just to make sure my boy says that's what the right thing to do with. is. Is that not? is that your hand, yes, Justin? God. Hey, Justin. the sister's hand. Oh, oh it's your sister's goodness, hand. Are you guys cream potting. Yeah, we're, we're cream he cream pie.
1: Here's the deal, man. We're gonna take all of our cream pies. We're gonna put them together. We'll sell them. The kids are gonna love them. The parents are gonna watch. They're gonna be all about it. Hey, and I have a diagnosis for your cut. If you weren't such a pussy, you wouldn't have to go get it fixed. Well, if it was mine, I would have spit at it and then jerked off with it, used it as loot. You, oh, you know what? That is pie? so disrespectful. Hey, uh, hey,
0: but. <laughs> Listen, you're, uh, you don't need, I would get a stitch if it's still bleeding. want a lot of here. Yeah. Hey, hold on. Somebody wants to talk to you.
2: Spit on it. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I love that. So, like, <laughs> I, I have learned, like, right at yeah, Carlos is, uh, hold on, somebody wants to talk to you means goodbye. <laughs> so, you know, uh. Yeah,
0: you know, back before we get into this, uh, you know, Dakota, I've uh, I've thought about this, and you know, we haven't put this out there to you know, other than to no. the people that need to know, and we've you know, getting it approved from the people that need to get approval from, and uh, you know, we've never had a name class. I mean, not that we've been around for a long time. You know, we've just been around a few years, but we've never had a name class. But we decided that we were going to name. Our uh, helicopter search and rescue class,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and we're gonna uh, do it honoring a person that's like been big in a lot of people's lives in many different ways. Huge, you know, like not just like in the EMS fire fire department world, the uh, the 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 rescue diving world, the 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 sports boat world. Ward renowned motocross rider. Yeah, it, it's just a all around, uh, you know, a uh. uh you know just great football quarterback football coach you know so so I'm like man I thought about this and I'm like man like we should we should name
1: this after somebody great nationally international known champion for barefoot water skiing
0: yeah I mean the mean, the guy's done it all so um for for most people that are gonna listen to our stuff you know off the bat you know Mike Sauber yep Mike Mike Sauber is a dude that uh, to me, that's Coach Sauber. You know, like I don't know him as Mike. I never called him Mike. I never said anything. I said call him Coach. And uh, Mike Sauber, you know, I'm a uh, I play for the for the Orlando Guardians, semi pro football team for the uh, National Public Safety League. And uh, 2008 brought the championship to Orlando. Was, you know. And it's a team that like people were shocked. We won the you know we won the championship there. we would beaten, like New York teams, you know, which is unheard of. And Mike Sauber, man, he was the coach. And, and the reason why Mike Sauber was the coach is because he he had something called accountability. You couldn't not show up to practice. You couldn't not do the things that you were not supposed to do. And you know when you're a uh, when you're a the second third stringer like myself. And you're like, you're there and you're practicing like you're a first stringer because you don't want that guy to call you at home. Why don't you show up to practice?
2: Yeah.
0: And, and um, so that's the guy I know. Then Dakota knows him in a different way So go. You want to tell your story?
1: Man, Mike is, uh, Mike's a lunatic and I love him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh so hold on real quick before we do this Troy, we're gonna take a shot of uh I'm gonna take a shot of Buffalo Trace. So you know uh so stand by one second, guys. Yeah, so we're this gonna... this toast right here is uh This is heli- a Mike
0: Sauber toast. Helicopter search and rescue the Mike Sauber helicopter search and
1: rescue class. Yeah, absolutely, it's, man. So mode it be. Yeah. yeah salute. Yeah, slant shot. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of Ireland there. <laughs> Rest in peace, my brother. Absolutely. So as we were talking about before. Um, did a lot of stuff for, uh, rescue wise, and you know, talking to you and you and Ryan and Carlos here, and so Mike Salbert. He was a part of. He was. He's been doing this stuff for a long time, man. Mike is established. He's intelligent. He was a solid guy. Had a great foundation. Really intelligent when it comes to doing a lot of this stuff with aviation, diving, working as a rescue diver. We'd. Uh, rapid divers so we would use these uh aqualongs or uh we had you know hollis katanas mm-hmm. or we would use uh, uh rapid divers and, Legal, and yep. yeah the zeagle rapid divers and we would use uh the, the brownie devices and it's like little 19 cubic foot bottles yeah all you need, and they sit just on you know the bottom portion of our abdomen and it's all we need to get in there and, and we did it a lot of the time for the powerboat racing world when those boats would flip and we would deploy from helicopters or uh, different types of rescue boats positioned strategically throughout the course, and um, and those of you who know Mike, uh, he was a I, guy's an adrenaline jockey. I yeah. mean, anything that was fast and powerful and, and moving all around, that's where Mike wanted to be a part of things.
2: Hey Dakota, I don't mean to stop you and um, uh, to interrupt you in a bad place, but like a lot of guys don't know Mike, and I don't, I, I never met Mike. Um, but just to bring people up to speed really quick before you go into the story, because like I've done, I've done a little bit of research in the short amount of time that I've known you and come and in a sense come to know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you dive deeper into the story, uh, tell us a little bit more. Let's like really quick, like who who's Mike? Like, so Mike Salbert,
1: <laughs> he was a lieutenant paramedic for Sanford Fire Rescue. Uh, he was a lieutenant on their tower which is their special operations team. Mike was also involved with the Seminole County Sheriff's operation as one of their lead flight medics and search and rescue guys and rescue swimmers. So actually when the the sheriff's office would receive a call for service, when it involved a patient stranded or a patient in the water, they would fly to Mike's station. They would hoist him up into the helicopter and they would take him to go effect that rescue and they would come back. Um, On the tower he was a part of. Uh, they, that tower was called for any sort of rescue to service when it came into structural collapse, when it came into confined rescue, when it came into... Needed divers. Uh, needed divers, when it came into the structure fire, when it Can came into critical us, medical like, uh,
2: calls. give like a... Give, give us an example or maybe like a... You, a you know, but, like I,
1: I think... Well, there, here's the deal. You know, I showed you the video. For you guys listening, back in no. 2014, 15, we... Uh, Ryan mentioned at the beginning of this podcast me pulling a guy out who was face down in the water.
2: And, and I only bring this up and, and interject because like a lot of our uh, listeners will have a pretty good idea of where we're coming from in our standpoint. And some I, of them may not. I think the and, thing you
0: got to say about Mike is this. The, the, You're talking about the, uh, the Sanford Fire Department. Um, it's a fire department in Seminole County, yeah. Florida. And you talk about a, a department that burns probably as, you know in the fire department world you hold fdny as the ultimate you know yeah. fire killer you know what i mean yeah, absolutely but you talk about a, a city that burns like fdny that's sanford fire department you know uh these guys are out there the guys that have made a career of being at sanford fire department, uh, this guy named mike murphy uh mike's a great yeah, guy hopefully we have him in the podcast i went to fire yeah. school with mike Yep, and, and you know when I'm at uh, fire school with Mike. Mike's worked 20 years at the fi- at Sanford fire department and it's just you know they don't get paid a lot of money there they, they, you know like you don't go there for pay you go there because you want to be a fireman sure. and, and a guy like Mike and, and, and you know uh uh and Mike Sauber you're talking about guys that got just, just tons of fire department experience yeah. and then you get Mike Sauber that goes to the city of Sanford and goes hey we're going to need to put a dive team together down the street from the Seminole County dive team, right. by the way. Like, that's who responds to special operations. We're going to put a Tower truck together, and we need a collapse team. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a collapse team down the street. No, no, no. We need our own.
3: Yeah,
0: We need our own divers. We need our own boat. We need our own thing. And then he shows up to the sheriff's helicopter, and he goes, hey, uh, you need rescue swimmers on this thing. I'm here that's the type of guy we're talking about we're talking about and the dude
2: and that's what i want to know like because that's the I, guy you just I, I don't know mike i never met mike and i know you guys did and what you know, i want for our he, listeners is is i want them for um he, maybe in the short amount of experiences that we bring bring to the table the, the stories that we tell that that elaborate on the life of mike when we do decide to do so even though i never met the guy i want to make sure that people know what we're coming from so like, that's we're talking so about, yeah mike. that's the like, dude like, we're who's, talking who's about mike?
0: We're talking about uh, a forward thinker, uh, persuasive, innovator, um, lifesaver. Well, well, here's the deal, like-
1: man. Mike was a first phone call. Yeah. Like, and what I mean by first phone call is when you needed a guy that you wanted to make sure somebody was going to be safe, you called Mike. Yeah. Right. When you needed a guy to fill in on a rescue team, you called him Mike. When you needed a guy to fill in as a Lieutenant on the fire department, you called Mike. When you needed a guy to reference for information in regards to water rescue, aviational search patterns, uh, jet ski rescue, when you needed somebody to fix it, you called Mike. I'll never forget it. And Carlos can probably remember this as well. Mike drove an F-250 or F-350 red pickup truck with a topper. Yep. And there was everything in that truck that could fix anything at any time. When Mike worked with us on the rescue team, anytime something needed to be handled, even the racers. I mean, we would go to races where there were hundreds of people there. Anytime something needed to be fixed or anytime there was a shenanigan to be held. I remember Mike had air horns and I'm a super skittish guy and I'm so jumpy. Mike would hide in our rescue trailer with air horns and he had an air compressor in his truck and he would rig up the air horns and he would hide in the trailer and he would hook up the air horns to the air compressor and scare the Jesus out of me. Every time I'd walk in that charter to get something. Yeah, and it would drive me nuts. I hated it. I won't, even, I won't even lie about it. It drove me nuts. I would scream at Mike every time. Um, but anytime we needed something handled, Mike was a first phone call guy. Mm. You couldn't make an event they wanted to replace with Mike. And Mike was already there, but if Mike wasn't able to attend that event, Mike was still caught. Hey, man, is there any way that you can come and attend this event? Yeah. If you needed someone to solve a problem, Mike was there. And we talk about this rescue that we had in Tavares, Florida. Uh, you know, it, it, it was me and this guy, Jeff Scabrosi, who's a retired chief from an ocean rescue department based out of on the coastline of central Florida. And all of my stuff is related to central Florida. I know I said that multiple times. Yeah, that's cool. That's and um, but it was Jeff and I. And we had a guy that got hit with the jet ski in the head. He was wearing a helmet. He was knocked unconscious, had multiple jawline fractures. I'm pretty sure you probably had a this little... This is the
2: same guy we talked about at the beginning of the... Exactly. Yeah, okay. Probably
1: had a le- le- legit 4-3 le- cranial facial uh, disassociator fracture. Um, mm-hmm. Had a lot of blood in his airway. He was face down in the water... Uh, Jeff and I were the first ones on scene. I was able to enter the water, uh, pull the guy out, Jimmy Reyes, which you guys will become familiar with. And, you know, I love the oh, love Jimmy. following he's to come. Little, he's a little Jimmy shallow. and I were able to bring this guy, and we had, you know, three different guys on the jet ski pulling this guy to safety. And I remember Tavares fire department showed up on scene. They did a fantastic job. Fantastic job. And uh, they were contemplating whether or not this guy needed to be flown out to a trauma center. Cause he started to regain consciousness slowly. He became a little combative. And uh, Mike was one of the influencing factors with an unknown fire department who didn't know who he was to convince them to fly this guy out to the fan of care. And Mike was able to tactfully and delegate the entire situation and get this guy to the care that he needed by being an outside influence. And we all know being in this field and working as firemen that when you have somebody who's not a part of the scene come on scene you disregard them but Mike had such a presence and such mm-hmm. a commanding factor that when he spoke everybody listened handsome fella too oh god he damn he was he's gorgeous good looking man give handsome Andy a run for his money good looking man and uh and so for me you know what do you think that stems from what do you mean? What do you think it stems from? That What you just said, that level
2: of whenever he got done saying what he was saying, the way that it made you feel. Whenever, whatever he was saying, whatever he was involved in when he got done speaking, it made you feel a certain way. Throughout, I think the the link for whatever we do this podcast for, you'll, you'll hear me reference
0: back to this thing. I'm I i, I I'm a fan of believing that football shapes a man. I think you know, any, you, uh, any team uh, sport uh, team shapes sport, a man. Yeah. And you know, um, and then like in in then football when you I don't say
1: remember the Titans reference, yeah, you know,
0: <laughs> you know, like in football when you say football leader, you think of a quarterback. Yeah. Mike Sullivan was a quarterback.
1: Attitude reflects leadership.
0: Uh,
2: you know, a, 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 every and single and
0: time. You know, a over yeah, and you yeah, and I think when you got a guy that's responsible for putting points on the board, coordinating, passing. Handing off, making sure that you make the right decision, play in after play. It, 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 Mike Salva was that guy. Listen, and man, I think that's where leadership comes from, man. And like you know, man, it, it, for you people out there that are not well read, you go read yourself a little bit about Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt saved American football. He created the forward pass. He because he because he would not he would not go to war. He would not promote another officer in the United States Army. That they, they never played football. That was that was the how that that was that important. I want a guy that's been part of a team to make decisions under war under fire. And that that's that's that that you know that comes. So I think a guy like Mike is just a guy that he was a leader on the field, man. Like making natural born leader. Yeah, and that's that guy, man. Just natural ability, skills. Players want the ball. You cannot when replace the game somebody. is on the line. A player wants the ball, and that was the guy we're talking about.
1: yeah Yeah. you know and he i mean like i said man he was every critical incident or every event that was ever taking place he he was the main rescue guy he was the guy that was always and and he could fix anything Guy could fix anything it was crazy i mean it it wasn't like your basic like hey man how do we hang this frame it, no. was, it was just random uh, stuff. And he he was a modern-day MacGyver, but way more attractive. Yeah, I tell you <laughs> yeah. what, man, Mike, for me, Mike, for me, was a, yeah. was a father exactly. figure. Uh, Mike, for me, I mean, I, I tell you what, man, I can't tell you how many times and, and we talk about this uh, episode we talk about how great Mike was, but Mike and I got into it. Uh, there, there were times where Mike was yeah, very... the uh, full-on dickhead. Yeah, and he was a... Uh, he had a place for everything in his truck. His truck was covered. Had, had you know, top to bottom with tools. Not head to toe, top to bottom with tools. And... Uh, I remember one time I borrowed a helmet from Mike and I had placed it down on the ground just because I had to go pick something else and Mike oh, lost his mind. Man, you fucking, and, you, you know, fucked Mike up. was like, you know, you got, you got to stand on this and, and you don't respect the things I had. I was Mike and and he and you know, a, you know, later on after the day, after he cooled down, he sent me a message, you know, text message. He's like, "Hey man, I just want to apologize. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I just cared so much about this, and you know, I appreciate everything you've done. And, and you know, Mike for me was like a father figure. Yeah. Uh, when I got involved with this, Mike was already established. And you know, me being a younger guy in my twenty, like I said, man, I knew everything. You know, I, I was a rescue diver. Fuck you. Hanging out with the ladies, yeah. and you go out to the bar, you know, I'm a rescue diver and all this stuff. And and for me, Mike was uh, Mike was that mentor, and. Uh, you know, he helped me out a ton. And so, you know, as, as we transition into the story and, you know, hopefully I'm not bypassing you guys, if you guys have any more stories yeah. to tell about Mike, but, uh, you know, we were rescue divers for so long and, you know, Mike and I worked together for five, six years and he got the opportunity through a guy named, uh, uh, Richard Webster, Richie, we call him, you know, Webby or Richie Webster. And <clears throat> he was a uh, racing for a company called rapid, um, building solutions. And he had an opportunity to go race a boat, drive a boat. So him and his son, and I, and I won't mention his son's name just to protect a lot of people's confidentiality. And Him and his son got the opportunity to go race a boat, uh, race a boat together, and it was a um, open console boat. It, it wasn't a canopy boat, so uh, they were racing. It was an outboard motor, and you know, P one boats. they called them Panther boats. And um, he had race, and you know, one of the first races he was. He, Mike was a very competitive guy. Mike loved, you know, he wanted to win. He wanted to do this stuff, wanted to get involved with it, and drove a lot of people crazy on how competitive he was. And I remember one of the first races of the season was down in Miami at the old uh, Arena Center. I, I, you know, I forget exactly what it was called. But, yeah. it was, you know, they got the stadium right on the water, and we had a race there, and Mike flipped the boat down in Miami and I'll never forget it. We were all in the water and you know, we had a fuel leak in the water and you know, I remember we got a whole bunch of fuel all over us and you know, sitting there trying to get the boat righted and doing all this stuff. And a lot of guys, we all got fuel in our uh, regulators and, hail and fuel and fuel, on our mask and had to go back out there. And Mike, the whole time, you know, he's a racer. And as soon as he came out of that boat and flipped it, his immediate reaction was to protect his son as a rescue diver. Yeah. you don't you don't lose that mentality no and then after he made everyone protect then he's out there trying to orchestrate and we're like mike stop you're not working today though you're not working this you're is, patient patient this is our <laughs> job like, yeah you're a racer this is yeah. our job and, and mike couldn't let that go and i remember afterwards he's like oh i'm sorry guys and i said you laugh, and and Mike, you know everyone is okay and you so mike flipped the boat down miami and everything was good we got the boat right everyone was okay got everyone pulled out and it was a real slow flip and he had a couple more races, loved it. Had great interviews, super charismatic. And, and uh, it was like the third or fourth race of the season. I, I can't remember. My timeline's off and I got a terrible memory. and you know. But I, I do remember the race itself. It was 2018 and it was June 2nd, the day that Mike lost his life. And uh, the night before, on June 1st, there was an Irish pub in Jacksonville. It's right in the landings of Jacksonville, downtown Jacksonville. And we all went out to the pub and Mark Austin, once again, talking about Mark, He, uh, we always loved Irish car bombs. Mike loved Irish <laughs> car bombs, they all drank Like I, I don't like Irish car bombs, but you know, I still drink them. And, yeah. and so we went out there and, and uh, I remember we, we ordered like 30 something Irish car bombs, had the whole bar lined up of Irish car bombs. It was awesome. It was such a cool sight to see. But Mike and Zane were sitting at a table off and he was, uh, eating dinner with Zane and uh, Melanie was there and and we all kind of had Irish car bombs. Mike didn't drink at all that night. And uh, I remember we were all kind of goofing around with Mike and he was talking to Zane and we all drank Irish car bombs, had a shot and, you know, we all kind of hang out and had fun. And, you know, I was a part of the rescue team that night and, and you know, Mike was being a, uh, a racer. And so after dinner, we all kind of laughed, went back to our respective hotel rooms and, you know, got some rest mm-hmm. and woke up in the morning. Everything was good. They had one race, came back. Uh, Mike was there talking and he was hung out with the rescue guys anyways in between races and and I remember uh, I came over got a cooler and it was me and Jeff sitting in my truck and I was parked real close to the trailer because I'm super lazy and I don't like to walk and maybe I feel entitled to park next to the trailer and you know I've been with the rescue team for a while now and sitting next to the trailer and uh, getting you know Mike comes over and he's asking if you can get a couple you know a couple bottles of water and we like yeah sure A lot of we're laughing with Mike we're like I oh, man, he's a lunatic and and um there was a storm coming in and they were contemplating whether or not they wanted to postpone the race. And I'll never forget it, man. It was a Saturday, June 2nd, 2018. And, uh, we're sitting there and I, you know, and it was me and Jeff working together and we were rescue one. And so they go up for their second race and they're like, yeah, man, we're just going to go ahead and try and get it done before this storm comes in and of it on. You know, we walk out to the dock and, and Mike wasn't a very sentimental guy. And for some reason, he was like talking with Jeff and gave him a hug and uh, you know, me being who I am, I said something sarcastic. I, I, along the lines of like, Hey Mike, you better be faster than lightning. Cause my ass isn't getting struck for you. <laughs> I said that to Mike and Mike laughed. He's like, ah, oh, you'll do, you know, you'll do whatever happened. Yeah. You know, just, you know, bantering back and forth. And, uh, me and, uh, Jeff get on a boat as rescue divers, put on our rapid divers, do our checks, check each other out. Everything's going good. And we're supposed to be rescue two that day. So rescue two was on the far end of the course. And, uh, we weren't the whole shot and the whole shot is our first turn after the start of the race well somehow our boat operator positioned us right at the first turn of the race and we were at uh, buoy one turn one okay. and that was where rescue one was supposed to be so rescue one i believe was danny and monique and uh they were rescue rescue two so we had ended up positioning ourselves with rescue one we had a new uh media we had a couple of media personnel on our rescue boat and um so you guys were in a boat not a helicopter at this we part. were in a boat okay. yeah
2: oh it's all right
1: no party <laughs> well, foul. Okay, no big deal. <laughs> and uh, so we were in a boat. So what they lane. do is they do a couple. Of, ori- we call an orientation lap. So they get around, they get comfortable with the course. They, you know, they figure everything out, and they come back around, and then they line up at the far end, and they go uh, horizontal wide. So you'll have six to eight boats wide at the start point. At the start point, and, and then they'll on. go in and turn one is where they all make that whole shot. You know, it's the first Roger. turn of the race. And so we we're sitting right there at the whole shot. And sitting it. in Jacksonville, right just to the uh to the west of the uh landing strip area, so right where the river walk is. And uh, Mike and his son were racing a boat, so Mike was driving, his son was the navigator, and, and they were in boat number 21, a couple other boats involved, and so they came around the turn and you know, got my bottle on doing my checks, got my goggles there, and Jeff and I kind of established it like, hey man, I was on the right side of the boat. I'll never forget it. I was on the right side of the boat. I was on the left side of the boat. We had a new boat operator, and I said, "Hey, man, if we get any sort of wreck, take us into the wreck. And as soon as I tell you that we're going to drop and deploy, I want you to get out of there, because we don't want any extra boat traffic going through, especially when we have divers in the water. We don't want any kind of you know extra accidents to take place." And uh, Mark Austin was the captain of the uh, primary rescue boat. You know, he was on its original inflatable that would kind of chase the boats going around the course. Yeah. And then Rescue Two was on the other end of the course. And so as we come around, they come into their first hole shot. Everything's good. And we hear a huge collision take place. And uh, i never forget the sound, man. It was it was just, it was insane. Huge sound, a big splash. We immediately started our response. Uh, we were probably 20 seconds out. So I remember taking my sunglasses off, putting them on the, dropping them on the floor, putting them on the deck of the boat, put my goggles on. Everything was good. Got everything going on. We got in. We deployed. The boat operator came out. Jeff was on the left side. I was on the right side. I made my entry into the water. It came up, and we teach a lot of these boat operators, um, the guys who are, are racing together in the same boats. Uh, you know, if you were involved in a wreck and one of your partners is, uh, you know, you find them unresponsive or unconscious. You know, these are the you know different maneuvers you can do. You get them face up. Try and you know maintain the C spine stabilization and do different maneuvers to help you know facilitate breathing. And, uh, Mike was always like real dressed to the nines, man, always had his hair, you know, done and real tan guy or, you know, just good looking guy. Very good. And uh, I remember swimming, I had no idea who I was swimming to. I saw, uh, and we had a two or three boats who had collided. We had like four people in the water, multiple unresponsive patients, a great response by Jacksonville fire rescue. They were out there with their boat uh, Jeff went to the left. He had a guy or two guys on response over there with, uh, partial amputations. And so Jeff was over there managing those patients. And I was over there and I, I swam directly up to Mike. And like I said, you know, Mike was a guy who I worked with for a long time. And, uh, Zane was sitting right there and we had rolled Mike over and I remember, you know, uh, his son had mentioned to me, Hey man, I think my dad's hurt. Mike's and, son. Uh, Yeah. Mike's son. And, uh, you know, Mike's son had mentioned to me like, Hey man, I think, I, you know, I, I, I think my dad's hurt. Zane and Mike were both in the same boat and they both got ejected. And so, uh, you know, Zane was, oh, he got ejected fine and, and you know, Mike had gotten injured. And so, uh, got to him when Mike was face down we rolled him over. Uh, Mike was unresponsive and, uh, you know, he, he was real pale on the face and, you know, his, uh, his eyes rolled up. And so we had, a uh, had signaled to a, to a, uh, one of the Jesky guys, and he had come over, and I remember I was in full all my gear, and I, I had a <clears throat> grab Mike from behind his uh, rescue vest. At this time, you know, we weren't too talking about maintaining sea spine. It's harder down water, man.
0: Yeah, so, it's uh, you can try to do your best.
1: Let me talk to you guys out here with water rescue, man. Ideally, yeah, it sounds great in theory, but it's a great theory. It's man. hard. It's hard to do. Yeah. And I remember it was it was calm. Nobody was freaking out. It was like it was like this esoteric feeling. No one was screaming. No one was yelling. They're real calm. I remember this guy came over on the jet ski and he was just by himself. And I climbed on the back of the jet ski and I, I grabbed Mike from his life jacket, pulled him up on the sled of the jet ski, and uh, unzipped his vest. And he he was pulseless and apneic. And I remember I'm on the back of the vest. I'm I'm starting CPR. I remember Mark Austin. And Mark Austin has been friends with Mike for 20, 25 plus years. I mean, they, they've they been through the start of it together. They've, they've done everything together. And I remember, Mark was a captain on the other boat. And I, I yelled at Mark. And I said, hey, uh, hey Mark, because uh, he had radio comms. And I said, let him know Mike's a trauma code. And it was, it was real calm. Nobody was freaking out, real calm. Uh, everything was esoteric. And I, I yelled to Mark. I said, hey, let him know he's a trauma code. And I'm back there and I'm doing compressions on the desk. I have no idea how I was managing anything. I remember uh my fins came off, kinda of bummed about that, but yeah, it's all right. We all make money for a reason, lose money for a reason, get more fins one day. And uh, doing CPR, uh, laying down, uh, laid down close to him, gave a couple rescue breaths, did that a uh, jaw thrust maneuver, gave a couple rescue breaths, cause you know, he's one of my brothers. Uh, you know, not really too worried about germs. And and we get next to a seawall, seawall's about three feet. And uh, the jet ski guy, uh, his name's Zach, put us up next to the seawall. We pulled Mike up. Uh, I remember I hopped off the jet ski right away. Mike was still on the sled. Uh, The jet ski operator, Zach, came back, kind of picked up underneath his arms. I grabbed underneath uh, Mike's arms, pulled him up over the seawall, got him under the grass, uh, finished taking stuff off of him. Uh, We were doing compressions. And uh, Jacksonville Fire Rescue was right there. We had brought him right to where the rescue was and uh, they came up and they kind of had yelled from the rescue they were pulling a stretcher on some other stuff they are like what do you need and I said hey man we just need a backboard let's get them up let's get them on stretcher let's get him back and it was calm I remember I was doing compressions people had come up and uh, one of the directors had came up of the rescue uh, of the whole entire organization of the company and immediately as she walked up she knew it was Mike and she just went oh my god and uh she had walked away, and one of the deputies there had talked to her. And she goes, "Hey, what do you need?" And I said, "Hey, I just need a perimeter. Just keep people away, because everybody knew Mike. Everybody knew him as a rescue diver, as a racer, as a as a mm-hmm. lieutenant fire medic. I mean, er, Mike knew everybody. And um, you know, taking a, stoop, a few steps back, uh, his girlfriend at the time, Melanie, had never missed a race. And Mike was like, "Hey, it's no big deal. Just gonna go out there and run a couple laps. No big deal. Just go ahead and go get some lunch." And so right before the race, she had actually gone to go get sushi at Publix. And so she wasn't a witness to the accident, which is just, you know, whether you believe in God or not, I do. And, and it was one of those things, it was just such a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. And so we had pulled Mike up and we're doing compressions. We get him in the back, everything was cool. Jacksonville fire rescue was fantastic. Got him in the back of the rescue. I was me, myself and two other Jacksonville fire rescue employees. I'm doing compressions. One of the guys is in the captain's chair, uh, getting ready to intubate Mike. And one of the guys is uh, pulling up medications and everything's cool. Um, put him on a monitor. Uh, everything was good. We shocked one time. Um, everything was good, got him in back. Mark Austin was, he had, uh, after the incident was kind of managed, he had uh, delegated care to Jeff Scabrosi who was a retired ocean rescue chief. So Jeff was coming out there managing the scene. He was another one of the guys that I was on a boat with. So he had gotten on the boat managing the scene. He, uh, Mark had gone in. Uh, Mark was at the back of the rescue. I was inside the rescue doing compressions. Uh, Jackson will ask me, he said, hey, man, if you're willing to stay, uh, we can leave right now. And uh, I said, hey, yeah, that's fine. And it really hadn't hit me yet. I was just doing my job yeah you know there's somebody who needed care everything was fine like i said there was, nobody was really freaking out no it was this this weird esoteric feeling it was just calm it was just weird and um do compressions there we had intubated mike everything was going good don compressions pushed some eppies, uh shocked him one time and then um so we had left and one of the guys from other J- in jacksonville had a great response man. they i mean they sent like five to six fire trucks they sent a fire boat. I mean, I, I can't thank Jacksonville enough for what they did that day. It was, I wish I could meet those guys who were responsible for that call. I, I, I truly wish. And uh, we took them to a, a trauma center based out of Jacksonville. And uh, I remember oh. midway through, I'm doing compressions and we're, and we're rotating through. We pushed some Epis on Mike and he was still a, still a trauma code at this time. And it kind of started to hit me a little bit. I'm like, wow, like, and one of the guys there asked, he's like, Hey, do you know him? I'm like, well, well, yeah, man, he's he's my partner. He was a rescue diver for a long time. And he's like, Oh, are you all right? I'm like, Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I'm fine. I couldn't really, you know, relate how my emotions got to the trauma center. Uh, it was probably a good 10, 10 uh, 12 minutes. I I really have no idea. It probably felt like an eternity, but maybe in reality, it's probably only 10, 15 minutes. Got to the trauma center and the back of the rescue. And you guys, I don't remember. I'm, I mean, I'm in a, a booties and a wetsuit uh you know working as a rescue diver so we get into trauma bay we wheel them in i'm riding the rail still doing compressions you know get him into the trauma bay move them over and the doc's like hey guys you got a story well you got to realize Jacksonville fire rescue just got you know they were sitting in the rescue got notified of a trauma code grabbed him so there's there was never any pass down yeah so they kind of look at me and i you know so i sit there and I say, uh yeah you know uh uh, you know, uh, 50, mid 50 year old male, uh, involved in a boat collision, initial arrival. He was faced down the water. He was pulseless and apneic. We pulled him up on scene. We initiated a basic CPR and a mouth to mouth, got him in the back of the rescue. Uh, you know, we're able to establish IV access. We've pushed three appies. We have the, you know, ET2 established here and, you know, we've shot one time and so, in, in, you know, working with Jacksonville and being as a paramedic already, everything goes pretty in flow. There's no reason that something shouldn't be easy in flow. So being in the back of Jacksonville, I'm sure that's why they may have asked me to, you know, accommodate them to the hospital. Just because as soon as we got in the back of the rescue, you know, as I continued compressions, they had pulled the pads out. We were able to, you know, put place the pads and nobody was freaking out. Yeah, the doctor was super calm and and they had done that. And I remember... Uh, as soon as that like kind of started hitting, me. I didn't, I didn't know where to go. You know, standing in the ER in an unfamiliar territory, didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do. It it kind of started hitting me as a uh, as a person. Uh, you, you know my you know my emotions started to show, so I kind of started getting teary eyed. And <laughs> one of the nurses came up to me. She's like, "Do you know him?" I'm like, well, "Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's my partner. You know, he he's a lieutenant. He's my partner." I, I, I didn't even know what to say and she's like she got me a bottle of water and she sat down they brought me out of the ER and I, you know I wasn't crying I wasn't emotional I was just in shock and I remember uh, a couple of minutes later, the doctor came out and I, I'll never forget it I remember uh, a couple of uh, Jacksonville fire Rescue started show up and some of the law enforcement started to show up and security came out and they said hey man if you don't have an ID we need to get you registered as a visitor can you come out here and I was like no I'm not I'm not, I'm not leaving get, get away from me I don't have any idea I'm soaking wet man I'm wearing dive oh, booties and in a wetsuit. Yeah. Like, what are you uh, talking about? I don't have any information on me. And they're like, well, we can't have you. And I remember <clears throat> it was great because law enforcement pushed security away. And they're like, hey, man, leave them alone. And I remember at this time, uh, Jacksonville Fire Rescue, that rescue who transported Mike stayed there. And, um, you know, they were kind of talking. And the doctor walked out to me. And the doctor goes, um, hey, man, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can. And I'm familiar, man. Trauma, trauma codes don't make it. Let's be real. Let's address the elephant in the room. Trauma yeah, cases don't make a lot it. Blood trauma specifically. And uh, and uh, you know I said uh, I said hey I I I'm a paramedic I I, I currently work in a field I know what's going on I said I I know he's I I know he's dead um, let let me go back there and see him before his family gets here I said that that's all I ask he was like well I'm like seriously let me let me just go back there and see him and so. Uh, I remember the doctor was you know, super nice guy, younger guy, and he'd walk me back into the ER and, you know, they had stopped resuscitation efforts with Mike and he had a sheet up to his neck and, or, you know, right down to his abdomen. Cause I could tell where they had decompressed him bilaterally and, um, walked in and, and, uh, he was there and, you know, he still had a tube in his mouth and, and everything else that we had to put in place. And just cause you know, it was a crime scene and, and, uh, walked in and, uh, his hair—I remember—I put my hand on the top of his head, and uh, his hair was super soft, which was random. And uh, I remember I touched the top of his head and it kind of shut his eyes. And I'm like, man, i am sorry. I gave him a kiss on his forehead. And I was just in shock. You know, I was like, "Come, wow, Mike! Like, this is this is not how the day was supposed to go." And you know, I didn't really know what to say. And I remember I walked out, and uh, this girl had, you know. Last couple of years, I went to high school. You know, after being homeschooled, she was actually up there in Jacksonville at UNF, University of North Florida, be going through the nursing program. She, she was actually there on a clinical. I seen her name. Uh, her name was Amanda. I Won't mention the last name. And I would dare, I I haven't cried in forever. I've probably forgot how to cry, and I was I was ugly crying at this point in time. I was I was a mess, and uh, I remember I walked out of the ER, and uh, Melanie had just arrived. A battalion Chief from Jacksonville Fire Rescue had brought Melanie there, Mike's girlfriend. And they had transported Zane. I remember Zane came in and he's like, hey, man, uh, where's my dad? Where's my dad? Where's my dad? And I said, hey, they're doing everything they're doing. Uh, don't worry about it. Just focus on yourself. I remember Melanie was there and the doctor came out and said, hey, I uh, just want to let you know. You uh, know, uh, talking to her. He's like, we've lost Mike. And she goes, well, where is he? You know, I'll find him. Where, where, where's Mike? What do you mean you lost him? Uh, I'll get a hold of him. And uh, she wouldn't really comprehend him with the fact that, you know, as we lost Mike and all you guys going through paramedics will know, like, you know, you usually direct, you know, he's dead or, you know, you, you don't say we've lost him, or he's passed away, he's dead, you know, he's gone. And I remember I came out there and I was, you know, I saw Melanie and I'm, you know, crying and she looked at me and, you know, it sounds like a movie and esoteric and grabbed uh, Melanie and I think it finally started registering. I was like, uh, you know. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, Well, you know, you're a rescue diver. Mike's a rescue diver. He would have saved you. Why didn't you save him? Uh, you know, it's your job. And I remember I just grabbed her real tight and she's kind of hitting on my chest and done some other stuff. I won't get into details. And I remember I holding her real tight and she had kind of collapsed to the ground and, you know, holding her. And I was, you know, it obviously started making me cry and holding Mel real tight and, you know, just kept saying, I'm sorry. And, uh, I remember at that point in time, you know, she had gone back and seen Mike, and then we had to go, you know, tell Zane that his father had passed away. And you know, Zane was perfectly fine, walked in. I remember he, you know, cut the life jacket off of his dad and cut the wristband off of his dad and you know, holds on to that to this day as, you know, memorabilia. And I uh were at the hot, and, you know, thank God Mark Austin had arrived just before that, just before we told Zane. And, you know, Mark Austin was a rock. I remember at that time, man, uh, you know, Mark and I have a pretty solid relationship and you know mark you know retiring as a chief from the city of orlando and working as a deputy chief for the city of Cocoa beach you know the guys established and you know when it comes to this command staff and this presence and and being a rock for so many people it came in and i never saw him shed a tear and i you know, i never saw him show any emotion and he came through and handled this situation and uh you know zane came in and you know mark started making those phone calls like you know notifying certain people and uh I you know, I don't really know what to do, and I remember Millie kept asking me, you know, I want to see Mike, I want to see Mike. So I'd gone back into the ER, and she was sitting in the, the you know, the family room, and uh, Mike was too busy on the cell phones and at this time. You know, let me reach back out to Jacksonville. Jacksonville Fire Rescue at this time had been aware of you know Mike's presence as a lieutenant with the City of Sanford as a technical rescue lieutenant and a rescue diver and an aviation specialist and all this stuff. So they had actually ended up sending a chaplain. They had sent like a tiller team. To the hospital they had sent multiple battalion chiefs i remember we're sitting in this waiting room and nobody would leave our side i remember we're sitting there in multiple chiefs i mean high ranking guys are sitting there asking us if they can get us water if they can get us food if they can do anything for us and it was just overwhelming at the time but these guys would not leave our side and it was just such a representation of brotherhood such a representation of, of what it means to be in this fire service. And Jacksonville had dedicated these guys to stay at the hospital with us as not even family members and you know just staying there and making sure that if there's anything they could have done, they would have done it for us. And uh, Mark Austin actually had drove my personal truck to the hospital after he'd gotten off the boat because we had left in the rescue. And after stuff was settled there, he had left to go to the hospital to handle stuff here you know, after we had, you know, Zane was uh, aware of his father's passing and Melanie and, you know, I had to contact uh, Mike's uh, you know, ex-wife, JC, and his other children. And they were on the way up there and I just told him certain stuff. And uh, so we had all gone there. And I remember they wanted to see Mike. and We, we wanted to get him to a viewing room. And I remember uh, I asked one of the nurses and they had put Mike into a body bag where they brought him into the room. And I'd gone in the room with the nurse. I'm like, you, you can't do this. I remember I, it was one of the worst things ever I remember unzipping this body bag and, and pulling it down towards Mike's waist so they you don't want a family member to see one of their loved ones in a body bag man that's awful I mean anybody who can relate to that that's that's a terrible thing and I remember we had kind of you know not undressed him but just pulled it down and put a sheet over top of him just to where they keep Mike as normal as possible and it was just so weird I, I didn't know how to think about anything and uh <clears throat> done certain stuff kept the sheet up to you know his 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 upper chest line just to uh, not reveal the the decompression of some of the interventions that had been done and, and Melanie had gone in there and she had just you know taken some time to talk with them and and some other people who had arrived and just helping out you know delegate some of the issues with the family and I remember uh, a lot of the people at the rescue you know back at the incident were so busy handling another instance they really had no idea what had happened with mike remember jeff jeff and i've been i mean i was a captain when he was my chief as ocean rescue and we have a long relationship and the only the only telephone number i could remember because I, I didn't have any of my personal belongings you got to remember i was in a wetsuit the only telephone remember number i could remember was jeff's so i called jeff he's like hey man what's up i'm like i just started bawling i'm like uh, uh, uh mike's dead and i couldn't really speak and kind yeah, of started getting teary-eyed. He's like, are you, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, man. I, I'm at the hospital, stuck so at the hospital. And remember, nobody would let me drive. Nobody would let me do anything. And um Finally, a couple hours later, uh, one of the battalion chiefs from Jacksonville Fire Rescue drove me back to the incident just so I could kind of start, you know, helping clean up and just get back to the hotel and get cleaned up and get out of my stuff. And, get in. you know, after spending a couple hours at the ER and, and you know, helping out with uh, Mark and stuff. And we got back there. And I remember... One of the guys I wasn't really a fan of, I won't mention names of. Uh, we never really got along. Got out of the truck, and he was one of the first guys to approach me. I remember I just, I didn't want to be touched, didn't want to be talked to, and I kind of walked down. and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can't do this right now. I remember I walked out, and it was uh, this guy, Jeff Rosie and Danny Alice uh, Carlos is well aware of Danny Alice. He's another rescue diver, and we had gone to the dock, and they kind of looked at me, and oh, yeah, I started bawling like a baby. Oh, I was ugly. You talk about an ugly crier. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, oh, man, I was it was awful and you know just talking about you know, I was like, um you know you know mike's dead this isn't this that they're like oh my gosh dude and i remember um god just sitting there and i kind of started walking through the park and this guy named mike sanborn was there and he looked at me and once again man, as soon as he looked at me he kind of had tears in his eyes i broke down again and i just you know he kind of grabbed me and started hugging me and i was like i just didn't know how to uh Comprehend anything, didn't know how to process anything. It just it seemed fake. This whole situation seemed faked. It it didn't seem like it was real. It didn't seem like this was reality. It was not the way the day was supposed to go. People don't reckon these Panther boats. It's never serious. And I remember uh somebody drove me back to the hotel and I came in and we were supposed to go have a critical incident, stress debriefing, and Mark was gonna lead that. I remember I got back to the hotel room and I was rooming with this guy, Danny, and I fell asleep, and he didn't wake me up for the debriefing. And we're stuck till like eight o'clock at night, and woke up and kind of like walked down to the bar where the debriefing was, and some people were standing down there, and 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 I don't fault them, but nobody knows how to address that conversation. Nobody knows how to address that yeah, elephant in the room. No script. Yeah, and they, they kind of look at you and be like, "Hey man, you're all right," and you're like, "I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You you don't you don't know how to answer that question." <clears throat> And I was just, you know, kind of shaking my head, like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You know, we talked about, you know, with Carlos's guys who had experienced that near-death experience in a helicopter, you're like, ah, yeah, I'm fine, you know, I'm all right. Just kind of weird. And I remember talking with Daniel and I came in, I just want to go home. Like, I just, I just want to be taken home. I remember my phone was blown up because people started getting wind of Mike's passing and, you know, people were texting me and, you know, people were calling me and people were, you know, and it was great to call. And I remember as we was driving home, store kind of listening to some of these uh stories on you know i think it was spotify or you know, itunes or something and because i told danny i'm like man i, I think i'm done with this like I, I don't think i can do it anymore and uh danny's like hey yeah i you know i understand and, you know we had a three-hour drive home and
0: what a what an introspective dude Danny. danny alice's you know what i mean fantastic
1: fantastic like, guy just that.
0: just to know like not not to you know a lot of people in a situation like that will feel like they got to make a suggestion they got to, like, guide you to the best thing possible. And it's just to do to just listen. And that's exactly you, you what you know. You just want a listener sometimes, man. And it's like when you're in a situation like that, you just, you know, haven't been there. I go, man, I just want a listener. You know, I don't want a suggestion. I'm not looking for you to guide my life right now. The worst time of
1: my life. Exactly. And Danny just sat there and listened. And we had kind of talked. I'm like, man, I... You know, I don't think I don't know if I can do this anymore I, I I'm not aware you know I just this is crazy like well, what happened I was just in such shock you know like this this doesn't happen man like this is Mike Mike's out man he can't die he's he's water now Bearford skier water now in, uh, motocross rider water now in, uh, boat racer rescue diver lieutenant special operations paramedic yeah, all this stuff and um you know uh and it was I'll never forget when I got back to the hotel. I'm backtrack a little bit. Uh, we had had to get in all of this stuff. Like you know, Mike had his guns in his truck and his wallet. And I remember we're walking back in the hotel with Mike's personal belongings, and I remember uh, we're walking through a parking garage and Jeff was there, and Jeff looked at me and he's like, "This is not how the day was supposed to end," and I looked back and I said, like, "This is this is wild." And we're holding Mike's personal belongings to give to his family members, and you're just like, this is this is not, absolutely not what uh what's supposed to happen on a boat race. Like that. Like that. Yeah. Just like you said, man. Like life is gone like that, and uh, so you know, Danny and I were driving back. My phone's ringing off the hook. You know, all these other rescue guys and companies are working for are calling me, and you know, uh, the girl I was dating, you know, called her ball and crying, and she, you know. I, couple of years a day and she never heard me cry you know i'm not saying i'm one of those guys that doesn't cry you know just certain people crying certain people don't i'm not saying i'm immune to the, that emotion i've i don't fight crying but i've just never been push to that point of crying. I tell you what, man, after Mike's passing, dude, I, I watch Finding Nemo when the parents get killed, I cry. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? It's yeah. just not I mean, something I did.
0: And so it doesn't mean you you're not sad or you just that's just not your emotion to express sadness.
1: Yeah it's not my my
0: you know, first, mean, first uh not first, your way to express sadness, yeah, I should say. First yeah.
1: way to respond to certain trauma. And I remember uh we were sitting there and uh I was listening to something and a guy came across radar and he's like hey man like you're already hurting. You're already in pain it was one of these, like, kind of, like, motivational speaker guys, and we were kind of listening to some podcast, and he was, uh, he was talking about certain stuff. And I remember, I'll never forget, he said, uh, why cry to quit? If you're already in pain and you're already hurting, why cry to quit? Remember, I looked at Danny. I said, you know what, man, as, as rescue divers, and, you know, in a scenario, <laughs> you give this scenario to people. Hey, man, your best friend just got killed in, in a boating accident. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? <laughs> You can't, can't fucking skirt that, bro. Yeah, you, you, you can't do an incident. <laughs> you can't fucking you can't do, do any that. Any. And I remember I looked back and I said, man, like, we grabbed Mike. There was no screaming. There's no yelling. There was no uh, inappropriate care. We grabbed Mike. We started compressions. We were able to assess him in the water. We were able to assess that he was a trauma code. We got him in the back. He was intubated, drug, shock, electrical therapy, compressions. Everything worked well. It was just out of our hands. And I looked at it, I said, why cry to quit? I said, man, I'm already in pain. And I love this rescue diving. Mike loves this rescue diving. Why would I stop now? Why would I look back on this rescue diving? And my last memory of doing a job that I love is gonna be associated with my friend and coworker losing his life. So you look at this up, you you look at this and you hear that the, the why cry to quit when you're already in pain. Man, I don't want my last experience coming out here as a rescue diver, professional rescue diver and rescue medic to be with my friend, losing his life. So I remember it was the very next race. It was in uh, St. Pete, Florida. One month later, came back up as a rescue diver in one of the first races in a boat, two boats had flipped and gone right back out there and flipped these boats over and got these guys. And that was what it was all about. And I remember we had done a ceremony for Mike and we had laid a wreath in the water and uh, Mark Austin, once again, you know, two time chief and fantastic paramedic and deputy chief of operations. Deployment. Also hurricane Katrina. One I of mean, the original is... members who established the central Florida oh, task force team for yeah, was playing bagpipes for Mike. Yep. Played bagpipes on the, on, you know, on top of a boat and, uh, after all this stuff, and I said, you know, this is this is what it's all about. You know, Mike, Mike doesn't want me to see stop now. Like, if I can handle one of my closest coworkers and friends getting Mental. killed directly in front of my eyes and mentor getting killed Mental. directly in front of my eyes, why would I not continue to pursue this path? If I can do it with somebody who I loved and was dear to my heart, I mean I know that's not good psychologically to have happen, but for me, Why not continue to pursue this passion? Why not continue to pursue medicine? This is what I'm supposed to do now.
0: You know, I think a lot of this stuff goes back to, you know, these things we do so that others may live, man. You know, like these things we do so others may live beyond personal comforts or beliefs or anything. You're just doing your job. Yeah. Because your job's about other people.
2: Certainly.
0: You know, you know, man, like, I hate, I, I almost hate doing this, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, we're only on like this, the second or, you know, third episode, whatever you want to call this, you know, um, of this, but putting you back in that position. And if you can go back to that sitting there around that, that, um, hospital room and everybody's there and you, this 20 some years old guy, you know, and just, worst thing you've ever seen you know how many people around that room would you say would not have been there if it wasn't for mike solver like how many people would have not been there that day if it wasn't for that guy no man i can't
1: i can't answer that like you know that answer I think that's it. yeah. It's nobody. Like <laughs> that's an I, I answer. Would,
0: I would go that, that that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in that guy, man. And it's just like the, you get this ultimate connector of this this situation. You know what I mean? And it's like. I think you know that 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 sometimes you're in the position you need to be in just because you're that person needs to be there that day. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and
2: and that's the hardest role to fill
0: i i just think man you're the dude that needed to be there that day you're the guy that could handle that you're the guy that could go past the thing and you you're sitting there almost like if he if he was watching you work the mega code on him and you know that that dude would that dude would not let you slack off that day you know that he wasn't going to let you not do what you were supposed
1: to do and that's a that's a weird thing to talk about man i um You know, I appreciate the kind of words you say with that, but I you know, still to this day I kind of struggle with, uh, you know, why was I there? Oh no, right. and uh, I've got I've got all of those, Dakota. Like you know, and I and I and I constantly think about that, and you know, who knows if I was the right person for that call, and you know, I, you know, I often try and attribute that, you know, anybody could have handled that, and it, it was a team effort. Uh, the reason it went so smooth was, you know, not just me. Uh, you talk about uh, <clears throat> how things operate. And especially in this realm, uh, you know, Carlos being an active flight medic, it's n- it's not just Carlos. It's it's a pilot, it's a paramedic, it's a nurse, it's a doctor, it's the defense healthcare. And you talk about Ryan working as a paramedic. It's it's Ryan and his partner. It's it's the defense healthcare. It's the guy who drives the ambulance. And talk about the situation with Mike. It's it's not just me. It's the guy who was driving the boat that responded to that call. It was is, is just my position. Man. It was just my position on the boat because if i would have been on the left side but i would have never experienced that call um you know just because of the way the patients were spread out in the water it, it still to this day i kind of struggle with with you know why i was in that position and you know i've, I've kind of come to terms with certain things and you know i found closure within my own self but
0: you know i started you know, it, I, uh, I started the podcast <laughs> off with a story talking about this mr uh mr rosie you know And I'm sitting on this uh, engine five city of Orlando and I'm there that day because I'm working a time trade for this lady named Tina Collier. She passed away and uh, died of a pretty weird disease, you know, and it's, and Tina Collier, I used to call her mama because I was an explorer of the city of Orlando fire department and I get to be a firefighter in the city of Orlando fire department as an 18 year old guy because of Tina Collier. So Tina Collier, you know, needs a shift covered. So I'm not going to fucking say no to her. You know what I mean? So I'm going to work a shift for her. <laughs> so I'm there working a shift for her. And I run this horrible call, man. I'm sitting there with Mr. Rosie. And and Rosie looked at me while well, I'm shaky. Man, I'm telling you, when I'm shaky, I still to this day, every time I teach a class, we're, we're in front of a mannequin, a cadaver, whatever it may be. I'm in. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there holding a laryngoscope, dude. In Dakota, I'll tell you, like, to this day, I still remember it. I could not move my hand forward on the laryngoscope on this little girl. I'm trying to tube this little kid. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't move my hand forward. It was shaking so much. And Rosie said this to me, and I, <laughs> he goes, listen, man, everybody else here is an EMT. And we can't do what you can do. So you just need to do your job. This is bad. This may be the worst thing you ever see, but you just need to do your job.
1: Just do, just, just do what you're supposed to do. Man, if I could count on one hand how many times that's been told to me, <laughs> like what a, what a simple but yet do your job. so, do your job. That's incredible what it, phrase. And you
0: know, like, and when you go back and you talk about this guy Rosie, you know Rosie was a, was a radio man in Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. No, 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 yeah, not, 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 not like that. He's no, the, I, know, I know, I know. He's the radio dude calling in like a bomb strike. Yeah. And and he's you know he's from Pine Hills, Florida. He's never worked a radio ever, but he sounded good on the radio. That's why they gave him the job. He was the original two live crew, and he could read a map. They go, you could read a map. Yeah. And they go, well, you're gonna be the guy calling in a bomb strike. Now that guy calls in a bomb strike in the wrong spot, he kills everybody he's with. You know he doesn't know fucking Southeast Asia. He's nope. never been to Vietnam before, but he's a guy from Pine Hills, Florida, reading grids on a map, making sure they ain't gonna drop a bomb on the same thing. And you know what? He said, Carlos, you know what I told you was what a what a what a this old white dude I didn't even met before in my entire life. He told me, son, he's like he's 18 years old in Vietnam, 18 years old in Vietnam, and he goes, just do your job. That's what that guy told him. Is just do your job. This is what you're supposed to do right now. And you know, Rosie said that that night. Later on that night. Oh, by the way, Rosie liked meatloaf, so I had to make a meatloaf. So I'm making a meatloaf after I just had the worst fucking call in my life. Rose, we go to the store. <clears throat> they pick me up at the hospital, and then I go to the fucking store to go get shit to make meatloaf. Fire department.
1: Let me ask. Let me interrupt you real quick. Isn't it crazy how a <laughs> phrase as simple as "do your job." Do your job made you the person who already do you do you because oh. you think about it because let me relate this this was 20 plus years ago right oh man yeah okay and so you're innovating a child yep and the guy who was so influential on in your career the only thing he told you was do, do your, your job. job and yet you still remember that like it happened this morning oh yeah isn't uh, it uh, wild to think that that <laughs> phrase oh of yeah three words do yeah, your do job, your job has stuck with all of us
0: so this guy says to me after you know I want meatloaf. I make meatloaf for him. And he goes, this is good meatloaf. And he goes, uh, hey, uh, you know what I told you? And then he's telling me the story about him being in Vietnam, calling him bombs. And and he goes, you know, that same look you had is what I figured I looked like. And And then I'm telling the story. So the next shift, I'm back on shift. You know, like the next day I go to my station and I'm talking to I'm talking to a guy that's worked with Rosie for 20 years. This is what's gonna fuck you up. This is gonna fuck you up, Dakota. This is gonna fuck you up, this part of the story. The guy I'm talking to knows Rosie. He's He got hired on the fire department Rosie. The guy's name's Rosie Hill. And Rosie Hill, in the all years, he's been at 25 years as a firefighter EMT. City of Orlando Fire Department? Nobody knew he was in Vietnam. It's crazy. Nobody knew that that fucking guy went to war. Nobody knew anything about that guy other than he worked here. He showed up. He was an EMT. And that's what he did. until that, what that day, that that was the only time that was relevant in that guy's life to tell that he was at war.
1: He was like, you know, that was the only time it was relevant. You know what's crazy? And you're going to make fun of me for doing this because I'm going back to three hours ago when we started this podcast. Oh, yeah. We talk okay. about, remember the Titans, right? Yeah. And uh, in one of their last games... Jerry Rev Harris, the Rev, you remember when he got sacked? Yeah. And he broke his hand? Yeah. And so Coach Boone calls up Ronnie Bass, old sunshine. (laughs) Sunshine. Sunshine, come on out. And Sunshine, if you remember, when they went to that camp, he couldn't make the pitch. Right. And so he called up Ronnie Bass to be the quarterback. And he says, Sunshine, he goes, you know, when I was younger, I lost both my parents in the same month, and I had 12 brothers and sisters. He goes, you need to go out there, and you need to command your troops. You need to take control of that team, and you need to bring them to victory. And it's so funny because you know, Ronnie Bass goes back out there, and afterwards uh, one of the other side coaches comes. coming. He goes, you had 12 brothers and sisters? He goes, I had eight. He goes, yeah, 12 sounds good. <laughs> but you see, Ronnie goes out there, and he gets that motivational speech. And he goes, oh man. oh, man, haven't you guys ever seen a hand injury, you wimps? And then he goes, he goes, hey, man, release that guy. And that's when he flipped one of the defensive linemen over his shoulders. And he's like, oh, isn't that a – isn't that a foul? And the ref goes, foul? On the quarterback? Shit. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so you look like this, you look at do oh, your job, man. you look at Coach Boone telling Ronnie Bass, hey man, I told brothers and sisters I had to go out there, I had to, I had to take care of every single one of them. They look up to me, I was the oldest one. And you look at his job, you being that new paramedic in that situation, trying to innovate a young child. And that guy looks at you, and he's probably already experienced everything that you've gone through. And he goes, Carlos, this is. This is your team. You need to you need to yeah. take that command position and innovate and innovate that child. No one else is gonna do it. Do this it. is on you. Yeah. You know, and you know, who who knows, but maybe he didn't give you the 12 brothers and sisters speech, but yeah, no, he, was he gave you something.
0: You know, man, listen, this is one thing. And I got this question for you. And you got two seconds to answer. Okay. Yeah, okay. more, you got,
2: you got more than two seconds. I'll keep two, it short.
0: Two two seconds? No, 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 no. I mean I want an answer within two seconds of me okay. answering this question. You you're is you're about to die. Yep. And what's the one thing you wish you would've done?
1: Here's the deal, man. when I die, there's gonna be nothing I wish I would've done. Because there's something I heard a long time ago, and it talks about when you're laying on your deathbed and you're surrounded by the ghosts and the ideas and the dreams that only you could've brought to life. And they're staring at you and they're sitting there and they're looking at you. And they said, man, as we look at you lying on your deathbed, only you could have given us life. Why didn't you do that? And as I live my life currently and I go through all these things, and this is way longer than two seconds, but you have your answer within two seconds. Yeah, I will never go to my deathbed without giving life to one of my dreams or ambitions. I will never deprive myself of giving my all for everything I put my effort into. Because I will not lie there and have the dreams and ideas and everything that I wanted to accomplish looking at me going, hey man, you never gave me life. You never put forth the effort to make me become a reality because everything I do, I give 110%. And I will not take these ideas and dreams to the graveyard. That's so it, for man. me when you talk about laying on your deathbed I have I will have zero regrets because everything that comes into my mind I put on the paper and it's going to be something I accomplish so when I'm it. on my deathbed I have zero regrets I love it man that's what I'm looking for right, Ryan you need to stop crying
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, my man, my man's emotional, man. No, 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 no. no, no I'm just
1: kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Everybody, listen, he's I'm not a, crying. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just, being a dude, jerk. I mean, like, no, no, I, I'm I, just I think being. About, uh, I'm being a jerk right now. Uh,
2: one thing I appreciate more than anything, man. is, is an own honest and humble and open person, man. like, like I think about, like my daughters are so young, bro. Like my my oldest daughter's three. My youngest daughter is less than a year, two months old. Yeah, like, yeah. Like in the unfortunate, two months old. Yeah, two months. And the unfortunate event that I I go much earlier than my uh, expected time, man. Like, one thing that I want. If I die on my way home tonight, I'm happy knowing that Kobe Trish, Carlos, like, these people are going to be in my, my, yeah, my a, family's life. Yeah, yeah I'm going to make absolutely. sure
0: sports bras get bought, bought <laughs> and stuff like that, man. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, man. Thank you for being on this podcast today, bro. Thanks, man. I appreciate hey, having man. me. Man. Hey. Hey man, you, you're the first guest, man. You're oh, like, get, man. dude, you're you're the uh, you know, like years Well, good
1: f- thing I've set the standard way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: tell you what. Years from now, I mean I'm sure Mike's gonna be a way better guest <laughs> Oh, yeah. Mike's gonna be so, awesome. Yeah. All right, man.
1: All right, man, that's all I got. Well, here, here it is, the rescue company one. Oh, as the rotor turns. As the rotor turns. All right, guys, have a good day.